Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Oh, back with a bang. It is the BBC with that BDE, the American Alpha himself, the Brian Campbell. And if it's Monday morning at 11 a.m. on Eastern on the YouTubes, you know it must be the best damn combat sports show in the world today. Welcome to Morning Combat, right? The show that used to do a little, but the little wouldn't do it. So that little got more and more until it basically became MK all day, nearly every day. No need to bury the lead here. You're just looking at this solo uh, handsome fella fresh off the plane from Jamaica, paratrooping in, if you will, into an amazing, loaded boxing weekend that we will break down in detail today, as well as hit up the biggest MMA headlines. But where is that bearded fella who normally welcomes you in on Monday mornings? Uh, no, Luke Thomas is not crazy, but like his father, Rob Thomas, once saying he is a little unwell. And I know right now you do care. He's got uh, liquids coming out of every orifice. So we wish Luke Thomas well, a late scratch, a little bit under the weather. But you know your boy BC coming in, guns blazing, fresh off this vacay, ready to make shit happen here. Monday, November 29th, 2021. I mentioned how good the box was this week. We're going to open that box and we're going to try to fill Luke's hole, if you will. And I, I hope you won't, to be, to be fair, uh, with, 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 a, with a plethora of special guests and fun, uh, breaking down all things MMA and boxing. We're going to get into boxing a little bit later on with CompuBox and Inside Boxing Live's own Dan Canobio. And we are going to bring on just shortly in just a minute the newest hire to CBS Sports to break down MMA. Before we do, though, a little bit of house cleaning. You know that combat sports is hot. You know that Showtime is your home of combat sports. So if you didn't watch the Stephen Fulton, Brandon Figueroa, 122-pound unification bout over the weekend on Showtime, why don't you sign up for your 30 days now? It's free, guys. Go to Showtime.com. Grab that. You're going to need it for Friday night when Kyoji Horiguchi and Sergio Pettis stare down for that Bellator Bantamweight title. You will not be disappointed. I'm telling you that right now. Take the plunge. And even more importantly, this is... Maybe the second biggest shopping day of the year. Cyber Monday. Does MK get involved in that? You better believe it. You know our website, morningcombat.store. But do you know the deals that we have for you today? 
Go to morningcombat.store. If you spend $100 today, you get 10% off. You spend $150, you get 15% off. You spend two bills, you get 20% off. Cyber Monday sales in full effect. And on top of that, any purchase on the MK store today, you will automatically be entered to win. Get this, our very own currently sold out drug rug. And when is the onus to make your purchases? How about right now? Because if you make purchases to this website right now using our Cyber Monday deals, a bunch of names are going to be picked at random. I'm going to read those names on the show and you're going to win a free MK drug rug just like that, folks. Never a better time to take out a little bit of that cheddar and sprinkle it on down there to morningcombat.store. Hell yeah. Okay. There are some very special new items on there. And when you're saying, okay, BC, we've heard that before. What do you got? What do you got? Some factory town fanny packs? Yeah, we got that shit. But people are always like, what about my ass? How do I put MK on my ass? Oh, our, our, our new merch guy, RJ Dunkelmaker's got that fixed too. Gaff, can you, and Corey, can you throw up the, uh, the piece right there? Oh my God. You want MK briefs? You want to put that shit over your cheeks? We got it right here, okay? You want to go tip-to-tip with the hosts of MK? Now you can. Morningcombat.store. I better stop now before we catch a case and get canceled. All right, folks, that's the stuff you need to know to get into it. We're going to have Dan Kenobio on in a bit to talk boxing, but let's talk some MMA to kick off the week because it is a big week in MMA. We got UFC Fight Night. We got Bellator 272. So why don't I welcome in a very friendly name in the world of mixed martial arts. You may have known his work from fansided.com, MMA Mania, or ET Canada. Now he is doing the, the, the deal with CBS Sports. Probably the best CBS hire since Tony Romo. Let's bring him in. The pride of Persia, Shaquille Majori. Uh, not French Persian, we found out after the fact, but Shaquille live and direct from Vancouver, Canada on this early morning. Thank you, sir, for filling in for the great Luke Thomas. Well, I want to say you're welcome, first and foremost, but not for filling in, for bringing a little bit of youth and ethnic diversity to this show of old, washed, white men. <laughs> <laughs> No, candidly, I'm a day one dog, Brian, and I, I love the work you and Luke do, and I'm, I'm genuinely, uh, this is a dream come true, so thank uh, you. You're a big-time combat sports guy, MMA, pro wrestling. You're just starting to get into boxing as well. You were you were watching and covering for us Saturday night, that great Showtime main event, so I look forward to hearing your takes on that in the future as well. Uh, Shaq, I mentioned you're in Canada there. We, we love bringing you on the team here, and how fired up are you to kick things off here with a hell yeah of a Bellator main event. It's going to go down this Friday from the Mohegan Sun in my backyard of Uncasville, Connecticut. When Bellator 272 hits the horns only on Showtime. And good God, can I get a hell yeah for this main event. Former Bellator Bantamweight world champion Kyoji Horiguchi returns to the promotion to try to get his hardware back. And he's got a new champion in front of him in Sergio Pettis and Shaq. My man, when you look at this fight, this big free agent signing from Bellator to bring back the great Keoji Horiguchi, who has been great as the risen world champion, had a one fantastic run fighting for a title in UFC. What are you sort of looking at storyline-wise with this one? I think for Horiguchi, he may have sort of been a victim of that potential uh, dismantling of the U.S. flyweight men's flyweight division, the UFC men's flyweight division that we saw uh, fortunately, who I don't know what happened behind the scenes, cooler heads prevailed, and 
That division is on fire now with Brandon Moreno as the champion. Uh, you got to remember though, Horiguchi, he left the UFC on I think a three-fight win streak. It was something like a 7-1 and one or 8-1 and one stretch, and the only loss was to Demetrius Johnson. That was that 4-minute, 59-second armbar in the fifth round, which reminds me, why did they give away DJ? But Kyoji, he has proven that outside of the UFC, and even during the UFC, he was one of the best guys in his weight bracket. He's up at bantamweight now, returning against Sergio Pettis who has looked great since leaving the UFC. If Horiguchi pulls this through, we need to start talking a little bit about what, I don't want to say what kind of mistake the UFC made, but what they let go of, because Kyoji is one of the best guys in this world. Yeah, he went unbeaten for that long stretch and Risen, then lost to Kai Asakura in a non-title bout. How do you avenge a knockout loss? How about knocking that guy out to capture the Risen Bantamweight Championship? That was New Year's Eve of 2020. We haven't seen Kyoji since then, but those that are in the know have said forever, look, Bantamweight's right now, we love it. It's the most loaded division in the sport. The UFC's division is overflowing. Bellator's division is so deep, you could do uh, an 8 or even 16-man Grand Prix right now. And I'm a little bit surprised, by the way, that we're that we're not necessarily doing that right now. But, I mean, I used to do a podcast uh, about a year and a half ago with the great King Mo Lawal on CBS Sports. And he would tell me every day, look, we can talk Bantamweight's. But the best bantamweight in the world is over there in Japan. And when you look at Horiguchi's run, beating Darian Caldwell twice, once under the Risen banner, once in his lone Bellator appearance to win that belt, and all of those great names that he beat, he's, you know, then, now, and forever a top bantamweight in this game. He's coming back for the belt that he never lost. So this is going to be good. Now, when we look at Sergio Pettis, though, he has had... A hell of a little redemption story. I mean, he came into the UFC as as Showtime's little brother, established his name, took a couple L's, bounced back. But that performance against Juan Archuleta to claim the Bellator title uh, really sort of, you know, came full circle on what his great potential was. This is about as tough as a first title defense you can get right here. Uh, Styles-wise, how they match up. We're going to have a lot of that this week in terms of predictions and breaking it down. But who do you feel should be the betting favorite coming in when you when you look at these two and what they've accomplished? Man, honestly, I, I'm leading towards Horiguchi with Sergio Pettis. Look, no doubt about it. He's looked fantastic at Bellator, won the Bantamweight title against Archuleta. But also, you got to remember that um, Archuleta versus Pettis was not the end-all, be-all Bantamweight title fight, right? This is sort of where we ended up. And so... For Sergio Pettis, if he can go in there and he can beat Kyoji Horiguchi, now we're really talking about how high his ceiling is and how much he's really improved. Against the best at bantamweight currently in Bellator, Sergio has shown up. Can he do that against a guy who I think should still be very highly ranked in the UFC? We're going to find out. I'm leaning towards Kyoji, but if Sergio Pettis gets this done, uh, I think we are officially talking about the transferring of the torch from Anthony to Sergio at this stage of their careers. Absolutely. When we look at the betting odds as they stand now on Monday, our friends at Caesar Sportsbook, wow, Horiguchi minus 170, Sergio Pettis the champ, plus 145. So you can see a virtual pick right there, Horiguchi getting the slight edge. Uh, you know, Scott Coker and company at Bellator love when they have that opportunity to say, we got the best in the world at this specific weight class. You know, can they have that with Vadim Nemkov at light heavyweight? You can argue that right now. Can you can you have that in some of the other weight classes? Sometimes it's a little bit more of a stretch. If 
let's say, for example, Horiguchi wins on Friday night. Can they say that now, Shaq? Is that crazy? It's not crazy. It's a conversation worth having. Obviously, the only way to find out is with some sort of fantasy cross-promotional matchup that we're not going to get. But I do think the case would be stronger should Horiguchi win because, interesting enough, we're going to talk about it later, Rob Font headlining the UFC card coming up. And that was Sergio Pettis' last loss. He did fight in the UFC after that, but his last loss is to a guy fighting number four in the UFC, Rob Font. So I think if we're having that debate and Sergio Pettis comes out of this as the world champion, I know both guys have improved and changed since then, but I think Sergio for now, in my mind, is still kind of living under the shadow of Rob Font and the people ahead of him in the UFC division. Kyoji Horiguchi, a, lo- a bit harder to find holes on that record. Uh, I mentioned the the idea that this could have been a Grand Prix division mm-hmm. uh, to make a tournament for Bellator. I kind of wish they did when you look at these standings. Pettis is your champion. Horiguchi sliding in with the immediate title shot. Former champ Juan Archuleta, ranked number one. Rafion Stotts, who ha- is, is stock is as high as anyone ranked two. You got Patchy Mix, Magomed Magomedov, Leandro Higo, James Gallagher, who of course had the loss, and Darian Caldwell. And oh, by the way, Shaq, should we take seriously... Uh, Patricio Pitbull's like sort of threats that a three division Bellator champion is a possibility that he will cut down to 135 and try to do this. He just gave up his Bellator lightweight title to give his brother Patricky the chance to fight it. Do you sort of take that as a as a real possibility here? And if so, okay, we're not going to have a tournament format yet or or at all right now to, to see that. Do you see Patricio coming in and, and being an instant threat potentially to whoever oh. wins this fight? Yeah, for sure. If he can make that, I don't know what his history is cutting down to that weight. If he can do it, uh, I would be unsurprised if they give him, give him an immediate title fight. And why not? Go for history, maybe. I'm not saying that he is, but you can kind of avoid AJ McKee for the time being as well. I'm all for it. I think that would be a very exciting fight. It's probably the most marketable fight you can do. And whoever wins this, if they, man, if they beat Patricio afterwards, regardless of whether or not He's compromised by the cut. Hey, it's his choice to make it. Now you're looking at a guy who can really, really um, anchor that bantamweight division. You've got AJ McKee up a weight class. It's looking good for Bellator's lower weight classes. Yeah, looking good indeed. You can see that card, as I mentioned, Bellator 272, only in the States on Showtime. I don't know what they do in Canada there. Do you get that? You get that stuff? Yeah, we actually, uh, it depends on what you're talking about, but for Bellator, we get it free on YouTube, prelims and main card. So Ooh, all right. living so easy up here. Free healthcare and free Bellator? That's, a, that's <laughs> about a, it's a tourism assignment there. Um, where should we put you on the MMA Canadian power rankings right now? Oh, you got heavy God. hitters, Ariel Hawani, Moro Ronaldo, Robin <laughs> Black. Uh, the great Aaron Bronstetter. Yeah, I mean, technically, don't forget, don't forget about your French Canadian roots, Brian. That is true. That is yes. true. I do get uh, I do get dual citizenship on these rankings. I, believe. I, I am very low on the totem. I'll, yeah, I'll give myself neck and neck with uh, Nick Baldwin, our, our twelve-year-old colleague from the score. Okay, thank you. Mike Bone also on this team. If we're really yes. being serious, right there, gets a little handsy on airplanes. Watch out for that no guy. Comment. All right, let's keep the train rolling. By the way, my uh, girlfriend was very upset by your um. By your suggestion that I do not, in fact, fox. 
Wow. I'm not wow. saying going, whether or not gonna... I do, but you've got someone ready to fight you over that claim. Okay. All right. Effing fighting. It's all the same. All right. There. Uh, <laughs> love it. Love it right there. Hopefully, we're selling some merch right now. Get your drug rugs. Let's get going. We can put some merch on your family if you're interested as well, Shaq. Okay. Thank you Thank very you. much. Just keep me off their ass. Here we go. Uh, also, this weekend, of course, a UFC fight night inside the Apex in Las Vegas. And we're talking, uh, we're talking Bantamweights and Bellator. How about we talk about Bantamweights in the UFC? Rob Font versus former UFC featherweight king, the king of Rio himself, Joe Zay Aldo. Uh, wow. You want to talk about a big-time fight in the top 10 with potential title implications with a legend, Joe Zay Aldo, coming off a two-fight win streak against very big names after, of course, that somewhat brutal loss to Piotr Jan mm -hmm. for the vacant title or Piotr Jan or however I'm supposed to butcher that name. Uh, Shaq, we're going to throw to some sound pretty soon of you catching up with Rob Font this week, but let's talk about those stakes. As you look at this five-round main event and a very, very streaking Rob Font, are we kind of talking title for the winner? I mean, this division is bottlenecked. It's, it's deep as shit. What's really at stake here headed into Saturday? Even Rob Font would tell you that the path to the title is kind of murky right now, and, and it's something we discussed in that interview for CBS Sports. The issue is, and, and you'll remember that Rob Font was actually tabbed before Corey Sandhagen to fill in on that interim bantamweight title fight against however you pronounce his name, Jan. Um, he couldn't take it. One, he wasn't training because there was a potential USADA suspension. He was cleared of any wrongdoing. And then while he was in Texas, as some Texan people do, he contracted the Rona, and so he just was in an estate where he could take on that fight. I asked him if he regrets making that call, and he said no. At the end of the day, he made the right call. He could not go in there compromised off basically no training camp against someone like Jan. The downside is where he may have before then been guaranteed a title fight. Now, it kind of depends on how the division shapes up. There's a few options for Rob Fawn if he wins here. One, should Sterling still um, be unable to defend his title. We could see either an interim or undisputed title fight between Jan and Font. If Sterling and Jan do fight, Font thinks that a fight with TJ Dillashaw should make, would make sense if Dillashaw doesn't wait out for the subsequent title shot like TJ has said that he might do. So those are really the two best options. He can maybe slide into that title shot, or maybe we got a number one contenders fight with TJ Dillashaw, but this is all kind of dependent on where Aljamain Sterling is at. Absolutely. I, I would think if you're TJ and you have that name and you've coming off such a big ass win as the one he had against Sanhagen, you wait for that title shot. You would think the UFC wants to plug it in. But whether a title shot is at stake or not, God, Rob Font at 34, this is his close up. This is his opportunity. If you didn't know him now, if you didn't watch that win streak, uh, four in a row, five of his last six, just the decision loss to Rafael Asuncao during that stretch. But you look at the names he beat. Uh, Thomas Almeida, the Sergio Pettis, as you mentioned, the current Bellator champ, Ricky Simone, but then you get a stoppage of Marlon Moraes. Okay, a lot of people are doing that these days, but that's a big name. But then you take that, that decision from Cody Garbrandt. So it seems that Rob Font's trying to, at the very least, parachute into that super elite mm -hmm. category. Uh, gone to your head, is he of that ilk? I think so. We've been waiting a long time to see if Rob Font can, uh, you know, can can cash in on the potential that I think a lot of people in the sport had on him, and that you know, when you come in on your first UFC fight and knock out a veteran like George Roop the way he did in one round, uh, people are going to notice. And it's interesting because from 2017 to 2018, 
he was alternating wins and losses across like five fights. And then, like you said, came that four fight stretch capped off by that Cody Garbrandt fight. And uh, he, he, he did tell me, I think we'll throw to it soon, why, what kind of sparked that change in his momentum. But man, I think Rob Font's the real deal. And if Jose Aldo can beat him, I think it says a lot about Jose Aldo's staying power in this division. Absolutely. And you can't count him out. We'll get to the legend in a second. But you mentioned, let's hear from Rob Font himself as you caught up with him this week in an interview that will be available on YouTube. What Do you have your own channel? Where, where does this show up on YouTube? Yeah, so I think it's coming out Wednesday. For the time being, my interviews, I got to figure something out with the MMA stuff. I have a pro wrestling YouTube channel, Shaq Wrestling. This will probably go on there. We might have to do a Shaq MMA one soon. I'm not quite sure what the deal is, but for the time being, yeah, Shaq Wrestling, that's where the Rob Font interview will be, as well as on CBS Sports' website. All right, you can read the story for more on CBSSports.com, but let's hear from Rob Font about the what, what has sparked, as you mentioned, this big change. What do you think was like your big eureka moment that led to this four-fight win streak against guys like Cody Garbrandt and Marlon Marais? Um, you know, I, I stopped trying to be perfect. I think um, I stopped trying to like wait for the perfect opportunity to make things happen. And then, um, and then, um, especially after that Asanso fight, it was just like more of those like, all right, I, I'm never gonna go out like that again, you know. Um, um, and then, you know, I think just kind of like going and attacking these uh, these fights. And, and giving myself permission to mess up, you know, I was trying to sometimes I would try to be too too perfect, or I try to I wouldn't really throw much if it wasn't a perfect shot or if it wasn't like the technical look, like I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't throw it. And now it's kind of like, I'm just doing whatever and having fun with it and kind of like having a game plan, but necessarily if, if I need to switch it up, switching it up on the game, on the fly and just going out there really just reading and reacting and, and, and making. And if you notice most of my fights, I'm trying to pressure these guys backwards, you know, so I've been trying to get them to kind of throw off their back foot and then counter them. Mm. But I think really it was like, just giving myself permission to, to fail, you know, not trying to not fail, if that makes sense, and, and or trying not to look bad. And just, if you look bad, so what? Get up and have fun, you know? Rob Fond, uh, it's working. And it, and it seems, Shaq, for guys at this level where they, they touch a bit of that label for a bit of being a journeyman, and then they break out of that, it's typically more mental than physical, right? Truly, and that that's just some all-around good life advice by Rob Font, you know, and stop putting so much pressure on yourself to succeed all the time, and when you just do what you love and give it your all, you know, uh, you'll get the best results that way, but failure is just a mental challenge that's getting in your way. Speaking of failures, we got a bit of an echo here, production staff. I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> Before I uh, I lose my sense of security. There we go. We're back at it. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Jose Aldo, though, the two-fight win streak, he beats Marlon Vera. Uh, he comes out there in the most recent fight and proves to us once again. Jose Aldo has these moments, right? It's like the knockout of Jeremy Stevens that time was a, you all must have forgot. The, the decision win over Pedro Munoz in a tough fight seemed to be another one. At 35, do you have a feeling, Shaq, of, of where he is? Because I've liked the reinvention at, at 35. I didn't, you know, I wasn't sure he can make this weight and have a gas tank. And he's been a, you know, he's always a, a threat with that power. Okay. He went in there against Jan and you know, there was about 58 rabbit punches. Okay. You got, you got, you got, we found out what level he's at, but I still feel like he could beat any of these guys at any time. Um, 
35, not, not the same as where he once was. We always want him to do more leg strikes and go back to the, to the, uh, the Jose featherweight king of old. But how do you look at this experiment now that we're about five fights in and, and where he truly is at 135? Isn't it weird to think that he's only one year older than Rob Font? Yeah, mileage varies when yeah. it comes to MMA Seriously. fighters, yes. Yeah, um, man, this is tough. Candidly, I, I don't know that I have quite the same level of confidence that you do. Look, everyone looks good against... Okay, the best guys in the division look good against Piotr Jan or look competitive across the first two rounds. And I don't even know if that's how his name's pronounced. I just keep hearing you say it and it's bled into my brain. I think it's uh, Piotr, right? <laughs> Piotr? I don't know, man. I the don't fans know. like when I drop a Piotr once yeah. in a while. Um, but what we saw, like Jan does in all his fights, once he figures you out, it's a tough, tough out. And for me, I don't know that that's a mountain that Jose Aldo can climb at this stage of his career. But that's not an indictment on him. The reality is, and much like, you know, Jose Aldo still has more to give than I think Frankie Edgar does. But my point is this. When you've been fighting as long as these guys have at a, at a top, top level, and you can still compete with ranked guys, boy, does that say something about how you've been able to, been able to endure the test of time. Jose Aldo, just by going out there and mixing it up for two or three rounds with Jan competitively speaks volumes to his legendary status in the game. So I, I really don't think we're going to see Jose Aldo as the champ anymore. Is he going to give Rob a, Rob Font a tough out? Yes. Might he beat Rob Font? Potentially. Jose Aldo is insane. He is superhuman. I don't think that's going to lead to a title, but I think that should remind everyone just how special of a fighter Jose Aldo is. Absolutely. And we know he can win any fight because he's got that power and that IQ and that experience. Um, I don't want to ever see him, though. See, I want to protect our legends. I don't want to ever see him become the gatekeeper to the guys in the, you know, ranked four to eight area that are trying to get into the into the upper level. I mean, it happens that way when you when you have a nice two fight win streak, which he has beating guys like like Vera, like we mentioned there. But in, in Munoz, I don't know. I, there, I think there's enough. I mean, look, if he wins this. He's not gonna get the not gonna get you know a Jan rematch. So I think there's enough old names. I'd love to see him against those old names. I mean, would you hate to see him against Mr. Faber? Would you hate to see him uh, against um, Dom Cruz? I don't think so, right? Look, uh, this is this is I'll say it. The UFC puts on fantastic fights. One thing they are absolutely terrible at is doing right by their old guys. Uh, there's a mindset in the UFC. That the best fight the best. And if you're not of the best, you either fight lower down the totem pole or get out. I don't understand. Like, you know, when Matt Brown gets beat badly by Miguel Beza, I don't think that does a ton to elevate Miguel Beza. I just think it diminishes Matt Brown and it's a poor use of his star power. Do the Matt Brown-Carlos Condit's fight. I want to see those sorts of scraps all the time once we've decided that a championship-level fighter can no longer compete for the world title. I think it's a better use of their market value. I think it um, is a bit less dangerous. And unless you have a guy like, let's say, Israel Adesanya, if you actually want to build off an Anderson Silva win, you're not doing either guy that good, great of a favor in the long run. Please, if Jose Aldo loses this fight and wants to keep competing, there are so many legend fights that you can put him in that'll easily headline a fight night or a main card spot on a pay-per-view. But if he wins this against a guy on that type of win streak as Rob Font, you're going to have to keep matching him high. And at 35, Jose Aldo. Please. 
showing us that he still got it. That would be a, a hell, a hell of a great fight. Although TJ's got a got a claim at the moment, it seems like getting that title shot. As I quickly look at the odds heading into this weekend, if you're wondering, Caesar Sportsbook has font minus 140, Aldo plus 120. So that sort of says it all as terms of how great that fight is going to be. But quickly here, Shaq, as we look up and down this card, my good buddy Luke Thomas, uh, who again, uh, ho- hopefully he'll bounce back quickly. A uh, little, little, little bug, little illness, uh, you know, gave him a little uppercut this morning. He would be fired the frick hell up if that even makes any kind of sense for this lightweight co-main event. We know that Luke Thomas has a has a CKB, a city kicking boner from here uh, to Adelaide, but Brad Riddell versus Rafael Rafael Fiziev. Rafael, Rafael, I mean, it, you know, Fiziev is uh is gonna bang brother i mean this is gonna be a hellacious fight and when you look at the slow turnover at lightweight meaning some of the bigger names are starting to fade around that corner this is also an important fight to see who might be next in terms of uh jumping into that mix did i poison luke thomas to secure the spot it's it's possible it's It's possible. possible uh yeah this is a maybe on face value it's not as big name of a ma- as a co-main event for a fight night, like we might see with uh, Wonder Boy versus Bilal Muhammad later in December. But it's an important matchup to decide which guy who's sort of been bubbling as in terms of a next action star for the UFC's uh, weight class deserves to get that rub. I think Brad Riddell versus Fasayev, like you said, is going to bang. And the winner, I have no idea. No idea who that's going to be, but... Whoever emerges, I'd be surprised if you didn't see them in a big fight next. I'm not talking a number one contenders fight or a top five sort of deal, but um, somebody, somebody worth some name value that you can really use to propel one of these guys. Yeah, don't dead wrong me. Luke would remind me that Fiziev's from Kazakhstan, not Brazil, so there's no Rafael on this one, but Fiziev number 14 coming in at lightweight, Riddell number 12. I mentioned some of the aging names there in the mix, the RDAs, the the Tony Fergusons, etc. There, there's a big opportunity to, to potentially parachute in. Shaq, uh, also quickly as you look up and down this card, anything else jumping out at you? When I see Cheyenne Bays on there, that's MK approved. I'm going to be tuning in. I was going to say, let me uh, scroll up and down the card uh, now that you ask me. Uh, I, l- listen, I'm, I, I can't help but smile every time I see Clay Guida on a card with that fantastic hair that has defied the test of time. And uh, a pretty remarkable, a remarkable ability to belch mid-fight. That guy, that guy has some pipes on him. So I'm happy to see Clay Guida back in there. Jimmy Crute versus Jamal Hill, both guys unfortunately, unfortunately had some rough limb damage in their last fights against, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it would have been Anthony uh, Smith for Jimmy Crute, and then it was the Paul Craig fight for Jamal Hill. Listen, both guys, I think, I don't want to say, for Jamal Hill, it was an experience and, and a poor decision. For Jimmy Crute, I don't want to do... Uh, Anthony Smith dirty by suggesting it was lucky. It wasn't lucky. It was very much intentional. But sometimes those leg strikes do damage more than other times. So I think both guys have something to prove because they fell pretty flat in their last fights. And these are guys we're supposed to look at as people who can really find their way into a top spot over the next five years. I think maybe Jimmy Crude should get the nod here. Um, Like I said, because... His loss had less to do with and like an IQ error than Jamal Hill's did, but 
We'll see what both these guys learned. I think that's a really important card when we're looking at future stars in the light heavyweight division. You know, when I, I love when they bury a banger on that prelim. I'm going to be looking out for Alex Morono and Mickey Gall at welterweight. Yes. We know Mickey Gall could use a win pretty badly here. That could be a good banger. A, a pretty good fight night card up and down. Uh, Shaq, you are doing a very solid move, which is accept a new job at a high company and then instantly say, I got to go on vacation for two weeks. So uh, <laughs> not only do I have to cut you loose in a second, but wh where will you be entertaining yourself in the future? Um, where are we going? So mostly, mostly we just, my girlfriend and I just needed a break. So uh, we're going to chill for a few days. Head off to Victoria, British Columbia, just across the pond there, and uh, just hang out, catch up with some friends. And then, man, bless my girlfriend's family. They have a family cabin up on the island, uh, oceanfront. And so I try and make use of that as much as they will let me. So we'll go up there with some friends, just relax, turn on the fire. Uh, Probably not, not swim in December, but that's you know. not a bad fringe benefit. Anytime yeah. you know you you catch up with with a girlfriend, you know you hope you get something good on the on the in laws there on the other half of the family. That's a nice addition. also health benefits. Thank you for being a nurse and keep doing your duty, girlfriend. Thank you, thank yes. you for being a frontline nurse, indeed. Uh, Shaq, we welcome you here to CBS Sports and also your debut on Morning Combat. Where can people find your work socially and beyond if they want a little bit more? Yeah, uh, Twitter is the place to go. I'm so ba bad at growing my brand. So if you guys can, please follow me on Twitter at Shaq underscore Foo. That is Shaq with a K. Shaquille O'Neal, please do not sue me. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. I post almost nothing. And if I do, it rarely has anything to do with work. But hey, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm a clout chaser through and through. So please give me the love wherever you like. And of course, CBS Sports, MMA, Pro wrestling and slowly but surely some boxing coverage there too. There should be interviews out with Eddie Kingston and Eric Bischoff on the pro wrestling end sometime this week. Rob Font and Sergio Pettis on the MMA side. Absolutely. You're a very, uh, very busy interviewer, big fan of your work. Great to have you on here. Enjoy the vacation, sir, as yes. we sign off here. And again, thank you so much to you and the Morning Combat team. Uh, this, has been a, this has been a blast. I hope Luke does feel better, but the event that he's vomiting week in and week out you know who to call. Absolutely. All right. Uh, thank you to Shaq for picking up the call last minute. We're also going to bring in in a second our boxing guest correspondent who I literally woke up in his bed on the phone to call him and say, get up. It's time to do morning combat. Before we get there, though, we talked to you about that great Cyber Monday deal we got going on on morningcombat.store. Not only things like what? Spend 100 bucks, get 10% off. Spend 150 get 15% off. Spend 200 Get 20% off. We mentioned we're going to pick a few winners at random. We've caught a winner here, folks. We got one. Ontario, Canada's own Austin Leach stopped by the morningcombat.store site this morning, picked himself up our best-selling Orchids of Combat t-shirt. Well, hey, Austin Leach, brother. How about a free MK drug rug? Yes. Our people are going to reach out to your people. You're going to be outfitted in all things MK and BC. We'd also love to get up on that ass, too, if you don't mind picking up a pair of boxer briefs. But that's your choice just the same. All right. Shaq is spacing out. And why are we bringing in a new guest? Because the box is back, folks. Uh, BC's back, too. I think some of you caught me late Saturday night with the instant analysis there on the MK. You caught a bit of my enthusiasm. Look, this has already been in 2021 a, a fantastic year for my favorite sport. 
I, I love the fact that some of you curmudgeons are coming around and saying, VC and Luke, you didn't lead us wrong. You told us to watch this fight or this fight, and it delivered. And this weekend was probably the best example of that. It was really just a magical Saturday night. We're going to get into all three topics of the three big cards, which was Triller's pivot into triad combat, MMA versus boxing. Of course, a big-time DAZN main event, which saw a big-time upset with Teofimo Lopez. But Showtime on Saturday night furthered their commitment in the junior featherweight division at 122 and gave us an absolute thriller. So we had to go into the bullpen with no Luke Thomas this week and call on a friend of the program. He's a operator on all things CompuBox and the son of a legend, of course. You can find his podcast inside Boxing Live. You can see his work doing play-by-play for Broadway boxing and as a correspondent, an analyst on Fox's PBC Countdown. You're looking at that handsome New Yorker right there, Dan Canobio. Dan, I've been on your podcast a world record <laughs> amount of times. Welcome to mine, brother. Listen, I was sleeping when you called me, and I have been waiting for this call for a very long time, and I'm happy to be here. If it takes Luke Thomas having violent diarrhea, so be it. I answered that call. I put on my best yeah. shirt. I sat down in my makeshift kitchen here, and I'm ready to talk boxing. It was a wild weekend. Uh, I could maybe make the case that, like, right now, boxing is a little bit hotter than MMA. I know it might, uh, you know, get some of the chat a little upset, but boxing right now. If you're a boxing fan, you can put your chest out. You can feel good about the sport right now because it's on a great run. The Morning Combat YouTube uh, chat, normally a home for misogyny and racism, will now pause and debate <laughs> the MMA versus boxing that Dan has thrown out there. I mean, look, I was a little surprised that the, the great Canelo pay-per-view on Showtime outsold the, the loaded UFC pay-per-view that it went up against that night. I think that just goes to show you that when you look at this year as a, as a, as a whole, and boxing, as I always precursor put out there, Good Lord, will it break your heart and your wallet if you hang around long enough. But this year, this month, as you've been the the champion of what November has had to offer, and the, especially this past Saturday night, Dan, what's happening right now? Is, are we just, are, are, are all our worlds just coming together perfectly? I mean, this is so good right now. It's just, you know? Yeah, it's a renaissance. It's a, I've been calling it the November to remember, trademarked. Uh, you, this month started off with Canelo Alvarez, coming undisputed at 168. And the month ends with Tifimo Lopez getting upset, and it ends with a banger in the 122-pound division over on Showtime between Brandon Figueroa and Stephen Fulton. And sprinkled in, in between, you had Terrence Crawford versus Sean Porter. You had upsets all across the pond. Kiko Martinez picking up a world title at 35. Alicia Bumgarner knocking out Terry Harper uh, to, for her uh, big arrival on, on the scene. And you got David Benavidez making his case uh, to fight Canelo Alvarez. This really was a November to remember, and you're right, PC. We're always, like, cautiously optimistic about boxing. Boxing fans have been mistreated over the years. So when I put out these tweets, and I'm a positive guy, and I put out, this November is going to be amazing, I'm littered with my notifications are, these fights aren't going to happen, these fights aren't going to be good. It has exceeded the hype. So I'm feeling comfortable today by saying that this is one of the best boxing months we have had in a very, very long time. And on Saturday night, I was there uh, ringside for Tiafimo and Camposos. I know we're going to get into that in a second. Man, the scenes in the MSG theater, where there have been some great ones over the years, the drama, it, it, you can't create that type of theater. I say that all the time in any combat sport, whether it's MMA, whether you're in a triangle ring, whether you're in a square ring. It, it was This weekend was 
was phenomenal. Yeah, so please, MMA audience, give us the room here to to brag and boast. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned it on the Instant Analysis pod on Saturday. Boxing can be like your drunk uncle. I mean, he's really fun to be around until he's not. But let's not focus on that, okay? Let's focus on the good stuff. We'll get to Teofimo in a second, but Las Vegas Saturday night showtime, as I mentioned, the Park Theater was home to, look, a, a commitment to this division that Steven Espinosa and company have done, maybe it helped that we've got these marketable American stars to really focus on, but this division's loaded, and this fight, dare I say, an instant classic. It went down as a majority decision in the end, but Stephen Fulton Jr. and Brandon Figueroa, I mean, it was 12 rounds of perfection. It was a back-and-forth war but yet at a high skill level, adjustments, all that good stuff. Um, let's let's start right here. How did you score this fight? I, <laughs> I, I had it seven rounds to five for Fulton. But Dan, I, I said it something on Saturday night. However you had it, you're probably right. Right. It's a really hard fight to, to judge. And I'm happy I'm not a judge because that is a, a, a tough job to have. And I watched it on uh, yesterday morning because I said I was at the Tiafimo fight, and I don't not I do not like watching fights when I knew who won it because it ju- it clouds your judgment. So I started to to score this fight, and then around the fourth or fifth round, I ripped up my scorecard and said, you know what, I'm just gonna sit here and watch this in awe of these guys just throwing hands. You had uh, Figueroa throwing over a thousand punches. You have Stephen Fulton throwing over seven a hundred punches for us at CompuBox. We love that keeps us in the fight. Uh, but you can make a case for either guy. This is the rare fight where you can make a case for either guy, and you can also make a case for a draw. I hate draws. I do not like draws in, in a- any combat sport, but this is the type of fight where any of those outcomes could have been fine, whether you like the aggression of Figueroa or do you like the the effective pot-shotting of Stephen Fulton. That's up. That's the subjectivity of boxing. That's what makes it uh, one of the most uh, sport where you could just sit to debate all day long about who you wanted to, uh, uh, to win that fight. But I think, <laughs> I mean, you could say it's a draw. You could say it's Fulton. You can make a case for Figueroa. I didn't score it, but if I'm okay with Fulton getting the win, but if you take a look at the punch stats, uh, you know, there was only nine of the 12 rounds. They're only separated by six landed punches. That's how close of a fight it was, but there was over a 200 punch landed edge. No, I'm sorry, a 40 punch landed edge for Figueroa, he threw 300 more punches. I mean, if you, if I know punch stats aren't the end all be all. <laughs> I know it's not the way you judge a fight, but you know, Figueroa was more aggressive. He did land more punches, but who landed the cleaner, harder punches? That's up for the judges to decide, and they ultimately raised the hand of Stephen Fulton. It's like okay, so I I ended up scoring it for Fulton, but I, but full disclosure, it's like every round was was a was an either or round because mm-hmm. both effectively accomplish what they tried to do each round and it's like any round where i was like okay this is a clear fulton round because there were especially in the second half of that fight rounds in which i felt like he made a point to come out and really sit down on his punches and land clean hard shots which is the way to differentiate your 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 offense Mm -hmm. from somebody who's mauling you from somebody who's all over you and anybody watching little clips of these highlights in the screen here and is wondering wow what round was that that was good (laughs) <laughs> that was every round, guys, because every round pretty much saw Fulton land clean shots in the first half and Figueroa adjust, switch stances, corner him, and maul him. But unlike some of those unfocused earlier Figueroa fights before the stoppage of Luis Netty, this was the most dialed in I saw him with Joel Diaz in his corner at 
landing his jab, using that to get inside, at switching stances and throwing odd lead hands, at going to the body, at all these things. This was like the most dialed in Brandon Figueroa has ever been. So when he comes out afterwards and complains about the scoring, it's like, it really is a strike zone fight. It really comes down to how do you like it? How do you call it? Do you prefer the cleaner shots or do you prefer the 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 calling the terms, right? Dictating the terms. I mean, you really, it was, I, I hate draws too, but this was a rip up your scorecard and let's give the fans what they want, which is a second time. I don't think we're going to see a second meeting right away between these two, but it, it kind of dictated that. So if I can make a claim of why I scored it for Fulton, because I thought in the second half, he also did a decent job at creating some of that space. It's very hard to create space when a longer Figueroa is getting up on that ass the whole fight. Fulton had moments where he did that. But do you agree, Dan, with Figueroa, that if your strike zone was a little different, you could easily have Figueroa 7-5, 8-4, however you had it. I mean, really, it's it's one of those odd fights. Yeah, absolutely. I like how you brought in how do you like it because this is a how do you like it type of fight uh, to, to uh, give a nod to Barry Tompkins. But it was a close fight. I mean, there was only, I think the biggest edge in punches landed was Figueroa and it was 10 punches. So any, every other round was in between 10 landed punches for, for either guy. So it was a phone booth type of fight. You know, Figueroa, you, he did make it a case to come out and be a little more aggressive, more assertive. Because when you're at 122 pounds, not all these guys have game-changing power. We've seen Figueroa stop guys before. So clean, hard punches is, is what maybe get the attention of, of these judges. But, man, uh, this was the type of fight where you're right. You rip off the scorecard. You sit back and watch. You hope the judges get it right. You can make a case for, for either guy. And I put this on Twitter. I said, I'm fine with it. I would have been fine with the draw. And I, I was expected to get... They get ripped uh, on Twitter, but uh, everyone said, yeah, that's fine. Like, I had Fulton winning, but I would have been okay with the draw. I had Figueroa winning, but I, I wouldn't have been fine with the draw. And, you know, honestly, sneakily, I kind of wish it was a draw because we would have seen a rematch. And I know that Figueroa isn't long for 122. I know he wants to move up. I think in the post-fight interview, we'll get to that in a second, too. Uh, you know, he kind of was thinking in real time, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll run it back. I'll run it back. But then he's like, wait a second. Does that mean I have to make 122 pounds again? I don't know if he, he wants to do that. It's a shame that you might not see this again. Maybe we'll see it uh, at a higher weight. But, man, this is the type of fight where I think fans were just like, you know what, whoever wins, uh, so be it. We just got entertained for 36 minutes. All right, I got a, a, a roulette wheel here of tough questions regarding this fight that I have to ask you, Dan. So I want short, succinct answers here. Let's start with this. Stephen Fulton Jr. did get the win. Got the win on my card. Got the win on two of the three judges' cards. Yes, debatable. Yes, I want to see it again. Did he prove that he has a case to call himself the best 122-pound fighter in the world? Yes. He got his hand raised. He won. I, he has the lion's share of the belts. I thought he was the best coming in. All right, all right. I, I mean, MJ Akhmadaliyev is going to have something to say about that. Hopefully, hopefully if the politics work out, we'll see. Although I've been saying, I think Danny Roman might have might have earned himself, speaking of somebody who lost a razor-thin fight to MJ, may have earned himself a title shot with his recent run. Uh, let's go to another tough question. This was 12 rounds. It didn't have the same brutality of a Vasquez Marquez, but it was all action. It was skillful. There was heart. There was everything. Is this the best boxing match of 2021? No. That is Fury and Wilder. Uh, I'm a big, like, event guy. And that was a big event, and the fight delivered. So that's my fight of the year. This is close. I mean, it would be hard to throw stones at Fury Wilder 3. It really would. I mean, it, it had 
It had a, a lot. Literally. It had everything. almost everything. Uh, this is in that discussion. There's no question about it. Uh, let's talk Brandon Figueroa real quick on a, on a hard question here. His brother, Omar Jr., you know, was a very decorated fighter and won, won titles, was in that war with Arakawa. Maybe he hasn't had the same success once he stopped being able to make 135. What do you think ultimately, even though they employ the same style, is the difference in Brandon kind of making himself a, you know, so far a, a better version of that Figueroa style than his brother? He has a little bit maybe better defense. I mean, he's not a guy that his calling card is defense. Like, offense is Brandon Figueroa's defense. The fact that when you're fighting him, you don't have time to think. You don't have time to throw punches, so you might not hit back at him. But he's just younger, obviously, than his brother. And uh... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back, just like that. Wow, thank you for staying with us. It's BC Brian Campbell, Dan Canobio filling in for an ill Luke Thomas who may or may not have been pulling the plugs out from our <laughs> Jersey City studio to prevent us from being on air. But we're back. And while we are gone, speaking of Cyber Monday, the sales continue to happen with our special deals at morningcombat.store. And Danny C., get this, Roloff Anderson of Virginia. He's a serial MK merch customer. In fact, he bought the BC Hawaiian shirt before it sold out. He just bought an MK beanie. Hey, Roloff, if that's your real name, you just want a free MK drug rug. So reach out to our team. They'll get in with you. Uh, The goodies just keep on happening. Dan, thank you for your patience, sir. We were in the midst of a boxing recap. Let's transition out of what was fight of the year contender on Showtime Saturday night with Fulton and Figueroa. And let's go into maybe a bigger story in terms of the upset we saw on Saturday. You had the best seat in the house at the Hulu Theater in Madison Square Garden when Teofimo Lopez Jr. lost his three lightweight world titles and his ring magazine belt and his franchise title, probably a couple other bootleg titles in there. And what has to be the upset of the year as Australia's George Cambosis Jr. scores a first-round knockdown and comes home with a split decision victory. Dan, this fight was wild, dramatic, violent, fun, and all that. I think the fans expect us to talk a lot about Teofimo. I spent most of my instant analysis on Saturday talking a lot about Teofimo. But I want to flip the script and say, can you put some respect on the name of George Cambosis Jr. after an upset that nobody saw coming? Nobody! No. No one saw it coming, and you're right, though, BC. A lot of times, I, I'm guilty of this, too. After a big fight, we dissect what the what the loser did wrong. I think that's just something about society where we're looking at what did Storm Porter do wrong, or what did Caleb Plant do wrong, what did Tia Fimo do wrong, and apparently, as 
his personal life seems to be spiraling out of control. Uh, according to a really good article from a friend of mine, Corey Urban, a friend of ours uh, uh, at Boxing Scene. Go check that out. But yeah, this was about George Cambosos this night. You know, he talked about, he said he had a vision before the fight in his hotel room overlooking Madison Square Garden that he was going to hurt Tiafimo in the first round. And Tiafimo came out of that corner and that first bell rang like a bat out of hell. And it was pretty clear that his game plan was to get him out of there, Cambosos, in the first round. And then once it didn't happen, they didn't have a plan B. And the plan A was pretty shoddy to begin with. But Cambosos was the one who ended up hurting Tiafimo. And was, it was kind of like a microcosm of the rest of the fight uh, that first round because he took heavy punishment, uh, Cambosos, in that first round. And he was able to drop Tiafimo at the end of it. In round 10, he took extremely heavy punishment, was dropped in round 10, and somehow got up off the deck and not only just got up and you know made it to the final bell took the fight to Tiafimo outlanded him 41 to 16 over the final six minutes of the fight I mean he had everything going for him that night his jab was good his timing was good a legendary chin uh he was going to the body well he, it was just his night and it's what makes it even more impressive BC is the fact that we know that this fight had so many interruptions uh, with the, the, the lawsuits or the, the cancelizations or the purse bids, you know the timeline by now, which means interruptions in camp. This is a guy who's coming all the way from Australia, so there's a case that you can be made for these guys that they are overtrained. And for the fact that he, this, he wasn't overtrained, he was perfectly trained in the best shape of his life because the only way you can stand up after that, that onslaught from Tiafimo Lopez, the only way you can get up and outland your opponent almost better than three to one over the final two rounds is to be in amazing shape. Uh, so hats off to George Camposos. He is now uh, holds the lion's share of the lightweight oh, the titles and a guy that has, he has a network free agent and a guy that has an entire country behind him. He is in a great spot. You can make a case. It's maybe him and Canelo who are the best spots in, in boxing right now, and it's unbelievable. He's, he's going to get a monster payday. Shout out to Lou DiBella, your friend of mine, a friend of boxing. Uh, the old promoter struck big with this one. Look, it, it wasn't quite Tyson Douglas, but... Cambosos, like Buster Douglas in that fight, had the night of his life. Had to show those intangibles you mentioned. But, Dan, what do you think he specifically did style-wise? Because before we get into, again, what Teo didn't do, which is a monster storyline in this, what did Cambosos do that I didn't necessarily see when he beat Lee Selby by split decision, That when he beat Mickey Bay by split decision? He elevated his game. What did you sort of see from Cambosos in there that kind of makes him an interesting player, not 135? From a technical standpoint, this is getting really into the X's and O's. Anytime he was up against the ropes, he had his back against the ropes. Somewhere you don't do not want to be against Teofimo Lopez. He was able to circle back. He was able to circle into the middle of the ring, control it uh, with a jab. It wasn't a powerful jab, but it was a jab to keep him honest. It was a jab that Teofimo Lopez lacked and didn't use because he was just loading up on, on his punches. It was the complete opposite uh, Cambosos did that what Teofimo should have done. He boxed first, and then he landed his power shots. Cambosos is not exactly known as a power puncher, doesn't have a lot of knockouts uh, in his career, but he was the heavier puncher. He was the more effective puncher uh, on Saturday night. So it was basically a one-two. It was pretty simple from Cambosos, but he, he did something that went beyond the technique and went beyond the X's and O's. It's hard. I know that we use these cliches all the time in boxing. And he was talking up a big game before this fight, Cambosos, and he made all of us look like fools. But you have to have the determination. You have to have the grit to get up off the canvas uh, in that 10th round. He was getting battered from like the 8th round to the 10th round where they could have stopped the fight. I thought I thought Tiofimo Lopez was one flurry away in that 10th round 
to the ref just kind of waving it off and Tifimos just didn't have anything left. That was his last hurrah. Uh, but for, for Cambosos, he did all the little things right. And you mix that in with having the Spartan blood that he has. The guy's got Spartan blood. He's got Greek blood. He's got Australian blood. I mean, he looks the part. He looks like a fighter. If you look at central casting for a tough fighter, George Cambosos is, is the guy. And I'm very happy for him and my friend Ludabella. Uh, look, you were there for it. I'm sure when Teofimo went down in round one, it, it was a, a crazy feeling. I mean, look, it was a great atmosphere. MSG always is, whether it's the theater or the big arena. I love Teo coming through the crowd. I love that vibe. It must have been great to be there. But it takes two to tango in these type of upsets. So it needed George Cambosos to raise his game to a level we've never seen before, which he did. But, Dan, you needed the, the star, the heavy betting favorite, to not be at his best, which was a big part of this. Now, I have a lot of Australian fans upset at me right now. Why? <laughs> because I made a comment that they don't like. But, Dan, I want to ask you if it's true right now. How I looked at it, this fight was more about Teofimo Lopez losing the bout than it was about George Cambosos winning. That doesn't mean Cambosos didn't do all those things to win it. But if Teofimo wasn't this distracted, uh, horrible game plan, horrific coaching in the corner. You mentioned Corey Erdman's story. You've got a lot of rumors that Teo went through a, a potential divorce or some type of separation from his wife. He just had the birth of his son. There's complications seemingly always in his camp with his family. Joey Gamach, the veteran trainer, wasn't there this time. What's going on? You saw Teo Sr., who's they call Junior, who's really Teo the third. I think. I, look, there's a lot of weird stuff going on there. My point is this. Do you agree... As much as this is not a shot at George Cambosos, I don't think Cambosos beat Teo as much as Teo beat himself. Oh, I 100% agree. I mean, there's a lot going on in Tifimo's personal life. It's a guy, uh, you know, I do a lot of interviews with fighters, and I wouldn't say I'm buddies with any of them, but Tifimo's a guy that I kind of connected with because he came in onto my set three years ago when he was 12-0, and he was like legitimately a baby. He was like, I think he was 20 years old. But right from then and there, I thought that this guy's got a lot of, he's very emotional. He's got a lot of emotions. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And what I was hearing behind the scenes was not good leading up to this fight. Obviously, he chased the big bag from Triller, and that didn't work out. I think any fighter would have chased that bag, too. Anyone who said otherwise, it, it, you know, they're just Monday morning uh, quarterbacking. But yes, this was more about Tiafimo losing the fight than George Camposos winning, which is not, it's almost like a backhanded compliment for, for Camposos because no one was picking him to win this fight and he, and he pulled it off. But everything that we're hearing from, from, from Tiafimo, whether it's with his, uh, maybe his ex-wife or, or, or they're separated, uh, his son was born and I'm pretty sure he wasn't able to even see uh, his son yet. He made a comment after the fight that I'm going to go hang out with my, my son uh, <laughs> after this. But right, the, with his dad as well, uh, and then having... you mentioned something to me off camera because of the trailer soap opera, he had paid up front for all these training camps that didn't lead to a fight that no one's trying to cry poor here, but he also needed the money of this payday. So he's coming in here 13 month layoff, which I get Cambosos had an equal layoff, but there was like, just like Mike Tyson in Japan against Douglas, all the things were in line for something like this to potentially happen. And oh, then they did. Right. I mean, what a horrific game plan, Dan, Dan, and mm -hmm. you couldn't ask for worse coaching. I mean, the 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 cut was there even a cut man in the corner? This they really did. was it was it was comical yeah. how bad his team dealt with the the struggle and in, in, in the uh, the tension here. 
Yeah, there, there was a cut man in the court, Miguel Diaz, longtime legendary cut man. He worked for Top Rank for years, way back in the day. He was like the uh, in in house cut man for 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 Top Rank, but he did not get that cut secured uh, in the tenth round. I, I mean, I was looking at T. Fimo's face from like early on in the fight. He was swelling up, and my dad looked over to me and Bob Canobio, and he said, "You know, he's going to burst. Like those are going to open up sooner or later." And they did. And you know, Miguel Diaz, you know, has had a great career, but didn't have a good night that night. T. Fimo Lopez Senior. Uh, did not have a good night that night. His game plan was get this guy out of here. And every time they went to the corner in between rounds, it was just get this guy out. Let, why is he still standing over there? And that, you know, we saw that in the ring. We saw that with Tifimo's, uh, you know, game plan. And apparently his preparation wasn't there. Chris Bannix brought it up on the broadcast that by Tifimo's own admission, he was down to $20,000 in his bank account. This is a guy that's been, if you follow him on Instagram, and you can't follow him on Twitter anymore because he just deactivated it, he, he has a ton of endorsements. Bud Light, he had Essential Water, he had just listed. The guy was reeling in endorsements. To be down to 20000 just shows you the side of boxing that a lot of fans don't know about is you have to pay for your own training camps. You know, spending $250, uh, $250K in a training camp is excessive because not every fight has as many interruptions as this one has. But you can certainly see him cutting out a Joey Gabash. You could see him, uh, you know, cutting out of perfecting athletes. They're the nutritional company in order for him to, to make the weight. So maybe he cut a few corners because he thought there's no way that Cambosos can stand up to my power. And after that first round, when Cambosos, uh, you know, not only did he just withhold this, the punishment, he dropped Tiafimo and it was almost like, oh crap, what's our plan B? Oh, we don't have a plan B. And then it was all downhill from there. It, it, look, 24 years old, and he showed such incredible maturity the last few years within the chaos of his dad, carnival barking, accosting Lomachenko, getting him into these, these fights. He fought his way out of these fights, but you saw the lack of maturity uh, when all the when all the chips were down, and it was the lack of a game plan adjustment, the gas tank certainly wasn't there. I mean, look, he gets the tenth round knockdown to his credit. Again, similar to Mike Tyson rallying to get that late knockdown against Buster Douglas, but mm -hmm. the round eleven that Teofimo had to just give that away and not go after a tired and injured Cambosos. Uh, not saying nothing again to take away from George's effort, but this is a this is a tough turn for for Teofimo's career. Is it, Dan, how, how much should we fear for him the potential damage? Mike Tyson, for all the greatness, was never the same. Never the same after Japan, after all the turmoil in his life. Now, that's a different comparison than a guy who had different levels of turmoil. Do you think Teofimo can bounce back from this? Because his dad's saying they're going to come back in February. They're going to move up to 140, <laughs> fight yeah. Josh Taylor in the spring for all four titles. I don't think that face is going to heal up anytime soon, man. No, nah, he's not fighting for at least six months because of the cuts and, and, and everything there. But there are some parallels to Tyson. I know it's, a, it's hard to compare anyone to Mike Tyson, but there are smaller parallels here. And I, I do agree that he's with the right promotional company. We just talked about the chaos he has in, in his personal life. Uh, but he has a very solid promotional company behind him in top rank. A lot of those guys over there have been through this before, rebuilding a fighter. And if you talk about moving up to 140, I, I think, obviously, Josh Taylor is the ruler there. And he's talking about jumping up to 147 and potentially fighting Terrence Crawford. So there's going to be a lot of belts available. There's going to be a lot of opportunities available uh, at 140 for Tifimo Lopez. But I did speak about how he, I consider him like a buddy of mine. Right after the fight ended, I'm worried about Tiafimo Lopez, the person. I know that you no know, one wants to hear that, especially fans at home, but I am worried about him as a human being. You know, 24 years old, a lot of this was brought out himself. Uh, he became a, an instant 
uh, famous overnight when he beat Vasily Lomachenko. And a lot of times these guys don't know how to handle that type of success and all that fame and everything that comes that way. I was talking to Sergio Mora after the fight and you know, he brought this up. When I won the contender, I went from a relative unknown to, to being whisked to parties, Hollywood, you know, going all over the place, people wanting a piece of me. And it's really tough. And I, I think that uh, Mora was a little bit older and uh, he was able to obviously go on to, to become a, a, a world champion in, in the professional ranks. But man, I'm worried about Tiafimo, the person. I think he'll rally, uh, but there are a lot of opportunities for him at, at 140. But man, he's gonna have to take a hard look in the mirror. Uh, you know, we've seen in the boxing world, uh, father-son duos when it comes to training sort with Kenny Porter this month. Uh, sometimes it yeah. works, sometimes it doesn't. But if I could advise him, I'd be to maybe listen and get a new trainer. Ryan Garcia did it, hiring Eddie Reynoso. So I, I, you know, he, it's not brain science here. You might need a new trainer. Look, Teo is sublimely talented. So if you can get the right trainer, and I don't think you have to throw the dad to the corner, although I do think, let's be fair, his dad is more of a distraction, but, you know, Angel Garcia and Danny Garcia have juggled that. I think there's mm -hmm. something that the dad brings from a marketability and a brash toughness. You just have to have a real trainer underneath that. You saw that exposure. You got to go back to boxing because if he would have made adjustments after that first round and relied on his physical traits, he wouldn't have been in that situation. Maybe he was concussed more than we realized. He got knocked down hard. It leads us to that post-fight interview. Now, a lot has been said, and even afterwards, his father said, you know, we regret ever going to Triller and DAZN because we feel like this loss was more about the business turning on us, and now we're going to go back to Top Rank, who we know love us and take care of us. That was an interesting L to take <laughs> when Senior talked to Radio Rahim. But Junior didn't take any kind of L's in the post-fight interview. And even different than Brandon Figueroa jumping in on Stephen Fulton and saying, I hurt you five times, I got robbed. This went next level when Teo's like, nah, man, the fans know who won. I should have won 10 rounds to two. This is blah, blah, blah. Um, Dan, you never want to hold comments by a fighter, especially one that lost or one that got knocked down or potentially concussed after the fact because there's emotions at play. There's a lot of other stuff at play. But as badly as Teo and team handled everything with this fight, that post-fight interview was like 10 times as worse. It was like the, the shit on top of the shit Sunday. Uh, again, you're not going to hold it against him long term, but that could not have been a worse look nah, for Teo. And you, like you, I love him as a, guy, as a person. Great for this sport. Man, that's a bad look. Uh, it was bad. It, he took another L after it. I know BoxRec's not going to give him another loss <laughs> afterwards, but they should. They should consider it because he did not say one ounce of truth in that post fight, and you're right, I, I, I can't hold these guys too accountable for what they say afterwards. They're either concussed, uh, they're in the heat of the moment, they just took 36 minutes of punishment in front of a, a rabid crowd, so it's hard to, to kind of hold it against them what they say in that moment. A lot of times it's their rawest and truest emotions. And with, with, we saw Brandon Figueroa do that against Fulton. He legitimately had a case because I, you could make a case that he won. There was really no case for Tiafimo to win this fight. I thought maybe he, he could have got a draw and a draw would have been a bad decision. It would have been, I wouldn't be sh surprised by a draw, but I did think that Cambosos won. But yeah, he said all the, the wrong things after. Uh, it was a crowd, I've seen this a lot in boxing, a crowd that was cheering him into the ring and booed him out of the ring. And wow. he said afterwards that they're booing the decision. No, they weren't booing the decision, man. They were booing the fact that you did not give props to Cambosos. You kind of, you know, went in there and had a Kanye moment where you took the mic away from him. And I thought Cambosos handled it with, with, with class and said, uh, brother, you're a little bit delusional. I, I mean, everything Cambosos did that night was on. The guy could Dude, cut a promo. Dude, this was a classic WWF double turn. 
Remember WrestleMania 13 in Chicago when oh, uh, yeah. Bret Hart came in as the babyface and left as the heel and the Stone yeah. Cold era began? It did have hints of that. Um, I know all the Aussies are going to say, look, enough talking about Teo. What the hell's next for George Cambosos? His phone's ringing. We got Oscar tweeting that Ryan Garcia is the right <laughs> next guy. We got Cambosos telling The Athletic this morning that uh, Devin Haney, who's going to fight Jojo Diaz, is probably the leading candidate. But, Dan, I want to throw out Gervonta Davis, who's back next weekend, should PBC want to throw a lot of money. You know Lou DiBella, the promoter, is probably going to take the biggest offer, as they should. Mm -hmm. I'm probably even forgetting names, because I think Shakur Stevenson tweeted out that he'd love to move up. Who wouldn't love to move up and fight for three titles in one of the best divisions in the sport? Gun to your head, who does Cambosos face next? I think... Cambosos will take a voluntary or, or mandatory over in Australia. He deserves it. He's kind of like Usyk where he's fighting other uh, guys' backyards and beating them. But you're right. He's going to get a lot of phone calls. His team, Peter Kahn, Lou DiBella, I happened to follow them into the bowels of the MSG on Saturday night. It was an interesting scene because you got Eddie Hearn on one side of the hallway. You got Lou DiBella on the other side and they're just simply, their minds are churning. What's next? What could we do here? Because obviously Eddie Hearn wants... Uh, Cambosos to fight Devin Haney. That's a logical fight that could happen next. We just saw Cambosos on the zone. Obviously, Devin Haney has fought his last couple fights with the zone. There are rumblings that he is also a network uh, free agent. You have Ryan Garcia chirping on Twitter. Uh, but you take a look at it. Cambosos is looks at is looked at as a fighter that is beatable and obviously holds a big portion of the titles at lightweight. And he has a huge fan base behind him in the entire country. So he is a, a guy that it's, it's, is going to be sought out. But you can't you can't, uh, you know, not look at Javante Davis. Javante Davis is in a prime position. He, obviously, we know what he can do uh, filling up arenas. We know what he can do uh, with, with pay-per-views. And honestly, I think now with all the chips, how they are, are playing out at 135, is probably the best fighter at, at 135. You know, Lou DiBello will tell you right now that, you know, we're going to go for the biggest event. If you want to go for the biggest event here in the States, it's obviously Javante Davis. If you want to go for a unification bout, it's obviously Devin Haney. If you want to go for an international feel, I know Lomachenko was going to get into the mix too. He is a dark horse here, but I would not be shocked, and he certainly deserves it, Cambosos, to fight in Australia against a, you know, a voluntary defense and kind of reap all the benefits of being the king. If we can't see all of these four princes, as Karen Mulvaney aptly calls them at lightweight, at least we can see George Cambosos against all of them, potentially. Or maybe he's the bridge to bring them together. I don't know, but what a hell of a development Saturday night there in the lightweight division. Arguably boxing's best division at the moment. Obviously, welterweight and heavyweight are going to have a say, 154 always deep. Uh, Dan, there's another piece of boxing, I think, that happened Saturday night that I know our MMA listeners, if they're still watching after our lengthy technical <laughs> difficulties i uh, want to hear some takes on it's called triller triad combat and it's a triangular boxing ring that triller fight club pivoted to on saturday now to triller's credit they filled up about 20 to 30,000 tickets depending on who you talk about at the texas rangers ball field down there they had a metallica concert uh hopefully no saint anger okay on that set list i didn't get a chance to uh check that out but dan we also had mma versus boxing and here's what's interesting i went at length on this on the ia pod for mk you can check that out so i'm not going to regurgitate but you had let's go champ shannon briggs as the boxing coach rampage jackson as the mma coach the threat and tease that they would fight each other next but you had a running scoreboard of who's gonna win dude i said it on the ia show um this was Triller's best shit yet. And I think 
I don't know how much money they're going to have because they love to spend money. And it wasn't as if this card wasn't without many, many cringe moments. But this might be their best move yet in something that has to be called a desperate pivot coming in. Yeah, isn't it funny? They started off with the Tyson and the Roy Jones exhibition. And then they pivoted into like maybe real boxing and kind of... You know, had mixed success to say the least. Obviously, they lost the Teofimo fight, and now they're the ring is getting smaller. Literally, it's a, they're in a triangle ring. They're putting MMA fighters with boxers. They different gloves, different rules. But it, it was there was a lot of curiosity. I know a lot of people of ringside on Saturday night were watching this on 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 the pay per view stream. I was too because it's a, a curiosity factor. There's like a novelty to it too. But at the end of the day, it's going to be about the fights. That's what's going to keep people coming back. Because obviously you'll tune in on just to see what it looks like and the, what is this going to end up with. And it, from what I... You get action, right? Like You get action, the, yes. Like, I mean, that's it's the thing. A, like Even with Jake Paul, who's going to be back on Showtime pay-per-view, I'm argued that when you're doing the celebrity-ish fights, if they're not action-packed, yeah. you're going to have problems keeping people. Mike Perry went to war with Michael Seals. Uh, Matt Mitrione went to war with Alexander Flores in these crossover fights. Okay, maybe a Kubrat Pulav who's still got gas in the tank is always going to be a bad matchup in boxing for washed Frank Mir. But if they can find a way to level this out, like I don't think this technically levels the playing field of boxing versus MMA. I think you still have to have boxers who are journeymen washed to kind of make it even. But if you can control the matchmaking, which they can, and the fights are going to be phone booth fights, it, Dan, it works, right? I right. Mean, that's, what, that's, what, that's what's going to keep people watching. It's ultimately going to come down to the quality or lack thereof of the fights. They're going to be big knockouts. They're going to be viral moments to get people to keep watching. I know the Frank Mir highlight is the one that everyone's certainly gravitating to, and that's kind of maybe the one issue with this. It seems like the MMA portion of these crossover fights isn't exactly equal because you're getting guys that are no longer under contract with the UFC. You're getting guys that are no longer contract with the Bellators. And, and that's what you're seeing, whether we saw it with Ben Askren, we saw it with Tyron Woodley, guys that weren't exactly washed, but obviously are no longer fighting under a premier banner in MMA. And that was certainly the case with Frank Mir. And on the other side is a, is a guy in Pulev, like you said, he isn't fully washed, but he's definitely certainly past it. But when it comes down to it, a boxer is probably always going to win because they know how to punch. Uh, that's all they do. They, that's what they train for their whole entire lives. MMA, obviously, all the other disciplines, too. You can change the gloves. I know they had a 10-ounce glove. It kind of looked like a mitten in there. But you saw uh, Pulev able to, to, to knock out Frank Mir pretty violently. I think the boxer is always going to have the edge. But until we get maybe like a, a, a less washed MMA side of it, uh, it's going to continue to be that way. But I'm intrigued. You know, I'm, I'm yeah. intrigued by it. And I do think this Briggs... Uh, angle of it, rampy. I mean, it, I mean, that will play as well. So, well, here's I'm what I'm gonna say about it. Like they got Vitor Belfort there talking about maybe doing it. I'd rather see whether it's Tyron Woodley who was also ringside. I'd mm. rather see Woodley or Belfort or anyone else looking to make this crossover in this gimmicky triangle ring in which you can hold and in like I thought Matt Matrion was the only fighter on Saturday who actually used some of the MMA elements to his advantage, even had a spinning back fist. But I would rather see Vitor Belfort go in there, even if it's against a washed ex fighter that's not too old, meaning an ex boxer, in this than in some kind of traditional ring. Remember, we had Holyfield out there, and we're like, what the hell are we doing? Put it in the damn triangle. Don't get anybody over 50. You might be able to find something. You do need personalities with the coaching to make it work. Uh, Dan, do you prefer boxing analysis from Crime Faces or <laughs> Eric B., Peter Guns, or uh, I thought we lost Nick Cannon for good from boxing when he was Dude. horrifically the ring announcer for Chad Dawson versus Andre Ward. Remember that infamous night on HBO? Yes. 
every time I, I looked down at the stream uh, when I was on Saturday night, there was a different like celebrity at the table. There was a lot of moving parts. I saw Fat Joe at one point, like I said, I saw Nick Cannon. But I love Crime Face. He's my guy. He's from New York. I've actually got to meet him a few times. He's very popular uh, on Instagram, breaking down these these types of fights that we're seeing. Usually, these fights he breaks down in the street are very similar to the fights you see this triangle. So it's interesting. Uh, they got a lot of moving parts. Thriller. They're still trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, they went from boxing to celebrity boxing, and now they're in a triangle. Uh, I'm intrigued. As long as we get big knockouts and content yeah. from it, I love it. All right, I'm going to need the announcers to stop blowing Ryan Kavanaugh and talking about how he's revolutionizing combat sports. He's not. He basically took BKFC and BYB and put them together. So we'll stop with that. I need them to stop calling out Dana White because there's nothing there. But if you want to get these wash names that still have it, you want to put them in there. I don't care if you do a concert or not, but can you do one band? I don't need to see 17 hip-hop artists. There's a thing there, Dan, because I think this is actually, if done right, with this production value, which they had very high production value, um, it's it's better than BKFC as up to this point, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know about this BYB lawsuit. I'm not sure how that plays out. But, dude, we have just declared Triller dead on, on the doorstep a few times on this show. And, dude, there's some life here. There's some life at the end of the day, all right? There is life. There, there is life, and and you're right. You got to clean up some of the the, pro, the broadcast stuff. But they had some heavy hitters behind the scenes uh, producing. As former HBO boxing guys, they had NBC Sports guys. This is like a real deal production, and you saw that uh, on Saturday night. That goes a long way too. I know fans want to you know be entertained for some of these fights. There's a lot of other avenues to go down with with these. They're not just catering to to just fight fans. They also have the musical acts and people tune in for. The production level of that certainly was there though but i'm intrigued by the triad the triad i'm throwing it up right now i want to see more of it oh wow all right there it is but uh, well if you do this there's a couple of weird connotations you can get called out for i mean there's this is like an illuminati yeah there's some gross stuff going on. yeah we got we got to keep that off if i end up on twitter with that i'm gonna have to uh, you know denounce Speaking of gross stuff, we are giving away MK Drug Rugs to some lucky people that are taking advantage of our Cyber Monday deals on morningcombat.store. We got another one. Hey, how about Carol Fritz? That's Carol with a K. Uh, she just picked up herself a hot host summer hoodie to wear down in Florida on those cool nights. Hey, Carol, how about a free MK Drug Rug coming your way? Yes, we're giving it away like hotcakes. Head on over right now to morningcombat.store. The deals on this Cyber Monday are insane. In fact, if I can outfit all the Kenobio brothers in boxers featuring my face on their ass. <laughs> can I ask you one thing? Relevant. Yes. Uh, excuse my ignorance here. What exactly is a drug rug? So where, where I come from, we called them like Mexican hoodies. It's the sweatshirt with the hand with the with the pocket for your hands that has the crossing stripe pattern. Oh, those are that, great. That you typically see guys in your high school who are smoking weed behind the school wearing, right? You know, like mm -hmm. I yeah, always argue with Luke Thomas. Where I come from, people that wear drug rugs are legends. You want to be like them. Maybe at your high school, Dan, those were the rejects. You know what I mean? Well, I went to West Hampton Beach. They're almost surfers, uh, and they didn't really have the drug rugs, but I agree. I wouldn't come from a steel town like you, or a modest steel town in, in Connecticut. But, yeah, I'm interested. Drug rugs. Send one to me for this appearance. Wow, wow. There you go. You're demanding. All right, we're going to keep it going. Dan <laughs> is uh, happy and pleased, and, and, and we thank him enough for staying with us for our typical uh, post-Monday segments that we have right now. DMs from Donks and Have You Seen This Shit? So we're back on board. Hopefully the internet's still working and Luke Thomas hasn't pulled the plug again. Uh, every week, morningcombat at gmail.com is your email address to send in your stuff. But every Sunday night, we put out that post on Instagram and we asked for your questions, okay? We're going to, why don't you step up to the plate and ask the experts. It's called uh, DMs uh, from Dogs. Uh, 
<laughs> Hee-haw. Hee-haw. All right, Dan. Uh, these are going to be some hard hitters from our people. At Ethan Mudford. He says, are you guys going to own up? And, of course, he's probably talking to Luke Thomas and myself about how wrong you were about George Cambosis. Obviously, a lot of people didn't give him a chance against Teo, but you guys, and particularly Luke Thomas, seemed much more dismissive of him and his skills. All right, Dan, let me take this off the top. So I did, on this show and the instant analysis, admit I did not give him a fair shake. Boxing for the most part, did not give him a fair shake, as you saw by the betting odds. Why? Because, hey, guys, Teofimo, who, by the way, I don't think is a bust. I think this is one horrible night at the office, was a pound-for-pound ranked guy who just beat Vasily Lomachenko, okay, who can knock out anybody in highlight real fashion and just happened to have the worst night of his life. So, yes, let me put some respect back on George Cambosis' name. But, Dan, similar to the conversation you and I had a little bit ago in terms of was this more about Teo losing or George winning, I did not see this from George Cambosis against Lee Selby, against washed Mickey Bay. He looked like a contender, Mm -hmm. but he was more pretender than future unified champion. And that's just what it is at the end of the day, Dan. You give a guy a chance to have the performance of his life, and if he does that, yes, in retrospect, we'll say congratulations. But let's not try to rewrite history that the betting odds were somehow wrong heading in. I'm, no, I, I'm, being, I'm being fair here. No, you're being 100% fair. I mean, I, I put out a video myself telling you to hammer the under eight and a half rounds. There's no way uh, that Camposo survives eight and a half rounds of power from, from Tifimo Lopez, and we see this, I mean, all the time. I mean, the guy gained our respect. Yes, no one was giving him a shot, and it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of sport, MMA and boxing. So what has, what has George Cambosos done for us lately was a split decision to Lee Selby, who is not exactly a heavy hitter at lightweight. So why would you give Cambosos any real shot in this fight uh, against Tiafimo Lopez? I mean, any expert that I was following or any, uh, you know, media member that I was uh, following for this fight would say the same thing. Uh, Lopez should get a knockout here. Uh, there were a few that said maybe Cambosos will, will get it into the, to, to the late rounds, but and that's the beauty of this sport. You're overlooked and Cambosos certainly had a chip on his shoulder and now he's the king. So now you ha- you're forced to respect uh, someone like George Cambosos, and you have to respect the way he went about it, uh, you know, on and off with these camps and all these cancelizations, having to go into other guys' uh, backyards to win fights, you know, winning a mandatory to get a shot. A lot of times in boxing, I always say meritocracy doesn't exist. No one, and some of these shots guys get, don't they don't exactly deserve. Cambosos deserved this shot, and then he shined. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think some of this anger, I get, apparently last week, Luke Thomas heavily dismissed Cambosos and sort of described him as like a journeyman bum almost. I, I don't know the exact verbiage, but everyone in boxing kind of had that same thought. Seriously, it's just the way it was. That's why you fight the fights, though. Mm-hmm. We got great theater on Saturday. All right. Holmes at Holmes dot Joel says, keen to hear BC's thoughts on Tim Zoo. Saw BC's tweet after Zeus' performance two weeks ago. Does Timmy have the tools to get past Castaño or Charlo? Dan, I want to throw this right at you. Timmy Zoo, the son of a Hall of Fame legend, Costa Zoo, has been making noise at 154, but it is different than doing that down under when you, than when you come to the States and you step up. We want him to step up. I'm sure he's ready. Do you think he's ready to beat the very elite that we have here at 154? We're going to find out because apparently he he's, should get the winner of the Castaño-Charlo rematch that we see now is penciled in for early February. Uh, 
with the PVC, but we're going to see. The, the opposite of Cambosos, Zhu, like you said, Tim Zhu has fought majority all his fights. Of uh, Cambosos. He, you know, all his fights are in Australia. He's back. So He's back. He's I'm here. back. I'm back. I have too many people trying to call me. I'm trying to do a show here. Yeah, but I think Zub, we're going to find out soon because he's going to be the mandatory for this. He's got a lot of power. Obviously, Castaño's got a lot of, uh, you know, throws a lot of punches. And Charlo has a lot. I want to see Charlo versus Castaño uh, this rematch before right. I can really think about what Zub can bring. So what, I, what I've seen so far, and you have to take it for a grain of salt for the competition level, but Tim Zhu is an incredible body puncher. I like his jab, his IQ. Some of those intangibles seems to be there, his poise. You're never going to know until you see him against a truly elite guy with high-level speed, high-level power, and to really find out if he's got that chin. But I know his last title, his last fight, excuse me, didn't sizzle maybe in the way of the earlier ones, but I'm still very high on Tim Zhu. And, mm -hmm. and look, guys that know me, from my days, look, Dan, we're like this as a, as arrogant American boxing fans. In the 90s, we gave it to, to Lennox Lewis because he was British and he had the, you know, the effeminate voice. Like, we're so hard against anybody coming from foreign soil where you got to prove it in Vegas when the lights mm -hmm. are the brightest. I've been like that for the Jared Fletchers or the Wash Geals and all the Aussie guys, the Maloney's. Good fighters, but I'm always like, come prove it. I Jeff feel like Mons. Tim Zhu is, is the best of the bunch from what I've seen, though. Yes, I mean, Australia boxing right now is, is thriving. You got Tim awesome. Zhu and, and you got Cambosos. So that's great. I know they, they're rabid fans. Uh, they deserve a big event. You saw that fight with Horn and Pacquiao. I mean, that was a massive, it was like 70,000 people. Half the country was watching. So that's one aspect of this. Uh, I want to see a, a guy go over there and fight in a title fight there. It's one thing to, to for, for Zoo to fight uh, these kind of like, I wouldn't say no hopers, but that's pretty much what they are. These showcase uh, types of, of fights over there. Uh, when a champion goes over like Pacquiao did, uh, and he, obviously he got shafted there. But uh, I would say Australia boxing is thriving right now. I feel like I'm the only person that gave Jeff Horn at least a draw on my scorecard. On that. I've seen your scorecards, BC. Yeah, we okay. We're not talking about that right now. I, I'll stand by them all, though. Just like, by the way, the nobody stands by their brand more than the Canobios. You talk bad about CompuBox, they're fighting. The brothers. Well, Bob, Bob will take you out. I, I'm a little. I, I, they bring me in to kind of finesse the situation. Listen, oh, yeah. I know punch stats don't always tell the stuff. Bob doesn't want to hear that. You don't like CompuBox? You're done to him. All right, this question comes from at NOX1DE. What is that? Knox? Knox something? Silly question, but I'm curious. How does an elite boxer like Terrence Crawford do in BKFC? Does he just mop the floor with everyone? Dan, your thoughts. Short answer, yes. <laughs> he will knock dudes out cold. Uh, depends on the, your, your hands, too. Like, if you have strong hands or if you have weak hands, like obviously Mayweather notoriously had very, uh, you know, brittle bones in his hands. He was always doing stuff to make them stronger. But Terrence, I mean, the I've watched a lot of these BK fights. I mean, they aren't the, the best form, and these aren't the best, highest-level boxing. You put a, a pound-for-pound guy like Terrence Crawford in there, he could beat the whole roster probably in, in one night. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Terrence Crawford would be the bad comparison. There, I do think, though, there's a reason. We've seen a lot of, like, washed MMA guys have success and very few washed boxers. I think that's because... It is a different animal altogether. You can't load up on your shots. Mm -hmm. You've got to be very, you've got to be more particular. And yes, there's some like holding and dirty boxing you can do. Again, I think Terrence Crawford's just too skilled. He'll, he'll put it on anybody. But not every boxer could come over and have the same level of success. I mean, even Wash Pauly had trouble to a degree. 
Although I think he got jobbed on the scorecards there against uh, Conor McGregor's boy. But um, Dan, that's still to me the bottom of the food chain in combat sports. So Terrence Crawford ain't going there anytime soon. All right, from at JPAC98, best story from your Thanksgiving. And BC, how was Jamaica? Did you do any excursions off resort like Dunn's River Falls, Blue Hole, etc.? Dan, how was your Thanksgiving on Long Island with the Canobios? Tremendous. There's another Kenobio, believe it or not, a little Sloan Kenobio, all six months on this earth. Uh, So we got to hang out with her. Go to Long Island. Not mine. Not mine. No, no. Not that I know of. Uh, This is my brother Jamie, uh, his daughter. Uh, Just very low key, you know, watch the Beatles doc. Uh, You know, try to stay away from fights for a few days, kind of burning out a little bit on on that account. But it seems like you had a great. Thanksgiving. Isaac, I did. Isaac Campbell had a yeah, great Thanksgiving. Yeah, we're going to get to Isaac in a second, my, my son. Um, You know, I, I had a I had a kind of a gross buffet. I thought they would do a Thanksgiving-themed. They didn't. You know, they don't celebrate in that Jamaica, and I respect that. So I didn't get turkey and stuffing and all that. But I had the most relaxing vacation I ever had. Jamaica was beautiful. The weather was great. I stayed in Ocho Rios. I didn't end up doing any excursions because some of the timing didn't work out. I wanted to, like, you know, swim with the dolphins and that kind of BS. But really, the point of this trip was that we were gifted this trip from a great organization called the Kids Wish Network. Kind of like a Make-A-Wish, but not necessarily aimed at, unfortunately, like terminally ill children. So my, I have twin 13-year-old sons, and my son Isaac, like, like his brother, has had a very hard road, including Isaac's got CP. He's had extreme brain bleeds. He's had miraculous recoveries from uh, six major surgeries in his first year. Dan, you know some of the story. I don't share it a lot on there, but we were told so many times the first couple of years that he wouldn't make it, or if he did, that Isaac would be in a wheelchair and not be able to talk or walk and all that. Uh, Isaac Campbell, my amazing son is not only, uh, able he's willing and he's running five K's. He's on his cross country team in middle school. He's on his track team. He does adaptive Olympic swimming. He does a lot of great stuff. And the kids wish network, as people may have remembered a year ago, uh, gave him his wish and his opportunity. And that was to meet Usain Bolt. We did it over zoom one year ago. Usain surprised us on that zoom call by gifting us with this trip through the kids wish network. But we didn't know if we were going to meet him or not, because let's be fair. He's a very busy guy. We found out two days before this past week, during the week while we're there, that he was coming through. Usain was on his way to his hometown to deliver computers and printers to his primary school. And he stopped by for about a half hour in the lobby of the hotel. Can we toss to some of the pictures here? Oh, That's man. my son, Isaac. There's the great Usain Bolt. Um, <laughs> it's so cool. I mean, to 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 see your, your son have that kind of moment and inspiration to have Usain sign his shoes and his shirt and to just see a celebrity be that humble and, and act like he's part of the family. And it, Dan, it, it's, there's nothing I can say that really sums up the feeling. He was a, he was a 10 out of a 10 in terms of being a representative of somebody who cared that, that would take this, this time out of his schedule and invest in my son like that. It was magical. It was amazing. Dude, and that's what it's all about. We've sat here and talked about these warriors that we watch in the ring and great performances. No one's tougher than Isaac Campbell. I mean, I've known the story from you telling me. That's awesome, man. To see that, the smile on his face, and all the great work that that foundation's doing. Usain Bolt's the man for, for doing that. I've heard a lot of great things about him. But your son is the real fighter. Let's be honest here. Isaac I, Cruz, I, I you're the man. That. 
I appreciate that. And, and, and I give so much of my success in my career to having endured a, a very tough few years early on mm -hmm. when my kids were born four and a half months premature, less than two pounds. Crazy road to get here, but we're here. That was great. Shout out to you saying loved it. Great vacation. Uh, one more on the DMs from Donks from at Raucus Bacchus dot Bacchus. On camera, you both seem to have an encyclopedic knowledge of every fight each fighter on an upcoming card has had. How much of that is prep? How much is natural retention memory? Who has the wildest memory retention capability in this regard that you'd shout out? Well, just to show behind the scenes, I do have the, uh, a laptop right in front of me. So, you know, there, I do call that up if I'm saying UFC fighter has won four out of his last five. But look, Dan, you got to understand this too. You do on-camera work. You, you do have to have a good memory in this game to get to this level as a journalist. And uh, I do tend to have an exceptional memory and have been that nerdy kid in my middle school and high school who can memorize stats and stump everybody at a trivia contest. And Dan, you may not know this either. I was once a contestant on ESPN's two minute drill back in 2001. The uh, I, I thought you were going to say stump the Schwab. Uh, there was a, it was a pre precursor to stump the Schwab, but I, yes, I uh, you got to have a good memory in this game, Dan, at least, right? Oh, dude, you have to, and especially in my role with the numbers. And this is just for me, just being a huge fan of having a lot of passion for, for boxing. And with CompuBox, I could memorize numbers now like I didn't even think was possible. <laughs> you know, bringing up, uh, you know, weight class averages, the fact that Stephen Fulton was 14 of 49 in his career heading into this. It's just like what you love, like any other, any other profession. If you, you are consuming all day and it's something that you're very passionate about, it, it kind of seeps into your brain subconsciously, but there is a lot of preparation. I know you and Luke put a lot of preparation. I do myself. It isn't just flip, flip on the camera and let's just talk. You have to put a lot in there because you want to you know, deliver the best show possible. Absolutely. But I have found, I don't know if you find this, Dan, I've worked at ESPN in the past where I've had teleprompters. I've worked the, the damn foot pedal to control a teleprompter. I like <laughs> to do everything off the dome. It's just more natural. It's oh, more, yeah. It's, you can't, you can't have too much. You don't have too much information in, in your in your head or then you're coming out like a robot. You have to have some human element to yeah, it. You got to have a human element. Speaking of human elements, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, we got a segment for that. Dan Canobio filling in for Luke Thomas this week. If you're new here, every Monday, your boy BC scours the globe for the good, the bad, the ugly, the highs and lows of combat sports and beyond. We call this, have you seen this shit? Oh, God. That's uh, Luke Thomas's catchphrase. There we go. Dan, are you ready for this? this I've never been more ready. Listen, okay. you woke me up out of a slumber to be here. I'm ready. I do appreciate you taking that call. I never call. It's weird. I, besides, like, be honest. Besides, like, your, your mom, do you ever call anybody under any circumstance? No. I never, ever. I hear, just hearing the, the ringer, like, shocked me. And I was like, I've been waiting for this call my whole life. And here it is. And I got to be here. I wake up. All right. We start with this. Hey, how about celebrities watching boxing? Did you see this little exchange between Showtime's Al Bernstein and Hollywood <laughs> actor John Cusack, who tweeted yeah. at Al and said, what a fight on Showtime. I th uh, the fight was a draw in my eyes. Fulton Cower punching off the ropes, blah, blah, blah. He talked about Cambosis's uh, truly breathtaking upset, comparing him to Bernard Hopkins. Did wow. this surprise you at all? I know we see we see a lot of celebrities, whether it's uh, whether it's uh, Mark Wahlberg, you know, mm -hmm. on and on that show up at fights. Dan, have you ever had an interaction with John Cusack? 
No, I've never had an interaction with John Cusack. I remember a few months ago he was getting dragged or he was dragging someone on Barstool about whether or not he could be a Cubs fan and a White Sox fan at the same time. But I'm shocked sometimes when I see who follows boxing. I know it's a, a, it's like celebrities love boxing because they love to show up. They love to, you know, dress up. It's a big event. They're, they're used to that. But, you know, John Cusack made some, some good points there. The Hopkins-Cambosos parallels. I mean, I, I didn't even think of that. So yeah, I mean, shout out to him for that. I'm not going <laughs> I'm not going to hold it against him that he spoke Cambosis wrong because I've seen like 400 different spellings of, of the guy's name. But John Cusack, right on the money. I love that he tweets it out. Like Al is the the guy. Like, And everyone knows Al. Like Even the celebrities, they identify Al with boxing because he's been it. on your televisions for 30 damn years. I love Al Bernstein. Al, John Cusack not taking Rosie Perez's uh, you know throne anytime soon as the celebrity boxing fan of the moment. But good to see him join the team right there. Speaking of boxing and the DAZN fight we mentioned in NYC, Dan, here's a replay of that knockdown in round one when Cambosis caught Tail. Dan, I've watched this replay about 50 times. Dude, that's a knockout punch. Like, his, he got rattled. Tao yeah. showed a chin to continue, but I'm wondering if he was just never the same from that. Dude, that was an oh shit moment. Like, you don't have a lot of those uh, every fight card. That was a legitimate, like, I remember looking around press row, like, you know, seeing Coppinger being, like, Jaws on the ground because we thought that Lopez was going to knock Cambosos down. We, you know, they said that Tiafimo was knocked down in his debut. Uh, in the first round, I didn't see that, but you know, you just don't see fighters of his ilk hit the hit the canvas. So that's that moment that only boxing can provide, where you're like, oh, you're like a Ruiz Joshua type moment, but like, oh my god, like jaw on the ground. I urge people to watch the slow mo replay they had. That he took a shot. Shout out to Teofimo for getting back up, but that changed the course of that fight. All right. Uh, Speaking of fights, Dan, we don't only show them in the ring here. We show them wherever they break out in the stadium. Like at the Cowboys-Raiders game, did you see this fight between Cowboys fans Jeez. and the concession staff? Well, the concession staff's getting in on it. Have you noticed this trend? Oh, he's, he's coming over the top bro. Oh, yeah. There's been a lot more fights in the crowd. Like, people send me them all the time. Like, hey, break this down. Break this down. So half the time, I feel terrible. It's like, this is kind of like a bad look up on society. Like, I'll laugh at them. but Oh, it's a damn, it's definitely a bad, it's a bad look on the NFL because there's some drunk fans. But you do have to be careful. If you jump the barricade, you better be <laughs> ready for the smoke. Can we go to the next video? This concession worker decided to jump the barricade. You don't see that. And Dan, I'd like you to call the play-by-play -play here on what happens next. Here he comes. He comes from the deep fryer into the deep <laughs> end of a fight. Fries in her face that she just served. Now she is getting served. Yes. And he's breaking off into the ketchup area. This is rare, though. You see fights between fans. When the staff, the paid staff of the Dallas Cowboys, she's going to get a call from Jerry Jones, and it's not going to go well for her. Dude, she I respect it. She took the L on the fall, and then, as you mentioned, she got the two-piece in the soda for her, for her trouble right here from these two uh, big ladies. Wow. All right. Hate to, hate to see it. Hate to see this, Dan, but we're here to, to round it up anyway. Uh, we mentioned Triller Triad Combat in that main event, Dan Marigliata. Uh, Frank Mir was already on the road to hell, thanks to uh, – uh, what's the guy's name for uh, – brain the Highway to Hell? Brain fart here. Uh, You're on the highway to hell, Undertaker. I'm on the highway to hell of a brain fart. Dan, what the hell was Dan Mergliata uh, thinking here when Kubrat Pulev effed up Frank Mir and yet he's like, should I keep Come on, going? man. 
He's been in so many big fights, Mergliata. He was literally, look, he was almost touched nose there, almost touched tips of Mergliata and Mir. Like, yeah. he must have been under some type of instruction from the commission. This isn't the New York commission where at the sight of someone getting hurt, they, they'll stop the fight retroactively because uh, they have her handed a pretty massive lawsuit a, a few years ago. This looks like, hey, we're in Texas. Uh, these fans came to see a fight. Let's, let's have it go on, but not at the expense of Frank Mir's brain. Come on, man. God. And he was overmatched to begin with. And Kubrat Pulev did show a ton of restraint because he could have went in there and just... You know who would not have shown restraint? Um, uh, who was the guy who left up Tommy Morrison? Wow, my brain just died. Michael you know, Bent? No, no, the other guy. The other guy. My, my guy, the heavyweight. The, 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 the Ray Mercer. Merciless Ray Mercer, Ray Mercer who, who, when the referee was late jumping in against Tommy Morrison, just teed him up about four or five times. That would have been the not. first Michael Bent uh, shout-out in the history of Morning Combat. That is. That is probably the last as well. All right, let's keep <laughs> it going. This is from UFC a week ago. Featherweight Sean Soriano taking Shaylin Nerdenbike ah, to Suplex City. Yet it was Soriano getting a decision Ooh. loss. Yikes. You don't usually see that. You don't see the head over heels in MMA. Usually they'll take you down and they'll want to get into like a side control or a dominant position. But he, he wanted style points on that one. Dan, don't you call play-by-play -play on an MMA promotion? I do. Shout out to the Flex Fight Series. It's the best regional MMA promotion on Long Island. We've got an event coming up December 10th and 11th. And you don't say that just because your brother's the promoter, right? No, I'm not saying it because my brother is like the Dana White of Long Island. I'm, I'm not just giving them a plug. Uh, it's very good fights. I mean, these are some really good fighters. All right, let's see some Japanese MMA where we know anything can happen. How about this brutal face stomping over the weekend from Yusaku Hinoshida? Ooh. Is this legal, Dan? I don't, I don't really... Uh... <laughs> that is not legal. You, don't, you can't <laughs> kick a man down and stomp on him. That's like you putting out a cigarette. in Japan. I don't know about holding the fence, but I know soccer kicks in Pride Never Die are a thing. That's oh, this brutal. end one. Look at this. At the end, he's stomping on like the butt oh. of a cigarette, and it just happens to Dude. be the guy's head. Let's keep it going here. AMC Fight Nights. Is this Poland? I don't know. But Sharaputin Magomedov improved to 7-0. and Look at this kick, Dan, that he got him with. I don't know the terms. What do you call this? A, uh, Ooh. That's ooh. like a... You, you've seen like a back fist? You rarely yeah. see that with a back of the heel to the head. I mean, that's a tough, tough way to lose Luke a fight. I Luke Thomas to tell me what kind of hook kick that is. But I'm sure he has a name for it. I mean, his last name's Magomedov, so that's a thing to watch in MMA. He yeah, comes he's going to win. Factory. Look at that beard, and look at that kick. Love to see it. Outdoor boxing from Malawi. Malawi in Africa. Shout out to Tim oh, Boxeo wow. for showing us this. Hanek Piri survives the ice skates of a yeah, wet uh, ring. Uh, are they fighting on ice? They're fighting during a rainstorm in Malawi. I didn't know it rained there, Dan. And, um, yeah, <laughs> maybe we should have called this one. Only Tim Boxeo can find these these ridiculousness, like parking lot fights, like backyard brawls aren't enough. We're doing them in parking lots. We got Home Depot strobe lights on them. They're legitimately fighting on ice, like rockets on ice here. That, like, that's, that's a slick ring. Each that's a slick ring. Insane. All right, one kickboxing. Superbon was back, and look at this head kick he gave to Giorgio Petrosin. Dan, that is out. about as good as it gets and as bad a fall as you could have right there. That's lights out. And I love that these companies now are like employing someone to just be cage side or ringside with a camera to get these like side angles, get these like organic type of uh, views here from your, your phone because you're going to see something like that. I mean, he went out cold. 
the back of oh. the head of the canvas that's rough but uh Brutal sport. If you get kicked like that you're gonna end up on the show that's how it works uh <laughs> aussie boxing over the weekend ufc veteran ross pearson is unfortunately still at it i couldn't find video of it but there's the aftermath <laughs> sometimes you don't need video Via TKO1 to 21-year-old Max Reeves. It was a super middleweight fight. I don't know if you saw the video last year when Max, when uh, Pearson lost via rolling thunder kick. I'd say either sign up for triad combat or maybe walk away because this is bad. This is bad. Especially look at the size of Pearson's gloves. I mean, they're huge. Yeah. Those are like 50-ounce gloves, and he still went down. Man. Yeah. yeah sometimes you got to... Know when to fold them before you get folded. Thank you. Exactly. Go well, look at this. Dan with the one-liners today. I love it. Hey, strange bedfellows. I was surprised to see this. Coach K of Duke fame, Mike Krzyzewski, welcoming Showtime's own Gervonta Davis to Duke practice. Love to see this, man. This is awesome. You know what? Like, other athletes perk up and fighters come through because it's a cool sport. It's a one-man sport where you have to kind of just... Build yourself up. It's like these guys play on a team. They're probably like, man, I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own you know, boss. And that's the ultimate sign in boxing. It's just you. It's just out there. But good for Davis. I mean, that guy's well, I laser see, focused. I did see Tank on episode one of All Access, uh, Tank Davis versus Esau Cruz. In his basketball form on the jumper, I mean, it wasn't Pacquiao bad, but it... Was, was anyone trying to block him? No one. That's the thing with Pacquiao. He won every single one-on-one game he ever played in. Yes. When he came through the lane, it parted like the Red Sea. No one was going to block the senator. Did you hear that r- weird rumor a month ago that Pacquiao Mayweather were going to do a pay-per-view one-on-one basketball match? I did hear that, yes, and I confirm. That's weird. That's weird. Run with it. Let me just say one thing about, about Tank Davis. If you noticed this past weekend, everyone chimed in on TFEMO to kind of stomp on him and, and kind of uh, say after the fact, like I told you so. Tank Davis was the only one that did not. That that shows. I know it doesn't say a lot, but it just shows that he's laser focused uh, for Sunday. Showed something. All right. Hey, Metallica was there for the debut of Triller Triad. I don't Rock know if it was shit or not. Mess. I didn't listen to it. But speaking of shits, would you take one in this Lars Ulrich inspired toilet? I feel like you have to. I mean, you roll up to that house, even if you don't. You sit on the ball and wait for something to come out, just out of uh, you know respect. I'd be afraid for a reach around or something here. I don't know if that thing's coming to life. I don't, I don't know, know if I would. Yeah, I wouldn't stand in front of it, number one, because I don't want to lock eyes with it. I'd probably go the other route. Yeah, that's got to be an expensive custom toilet. All right. Hey, uh, you know that uh, Showtime pay-per-view is back December 18th after Gervonta Davis next week when Jake Paul takes on Tyson Fury's little brother, Tommy. We had a BT Sport UK press conference, and they let big John Fury on the scene. Let's listen to the results. You know when Tommy knocks you out, don't you? He's going to bend your girlfriend over and do her like a dog in front of you. Lonnie. So I'm telling you straight. You're, 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 you're cringing. That's where you're coming from. Because you you're, you're a dumb cringe man you're a who should not be on stage. I don't care if you like it. You're an old cringe man who should not be on stage. You know when Tommy knocks you out, don't you? He's going to bend your girlfriend over and do her like a dog. Okay, let's add that. Uh. Dan, it's about time the MMA world and the combat sports world at large that doesn't know who Big John Fury is. And the reason why they don't know is because he can't travel to the U.S. He's got visa issues, probably stemming from that time he took a guy's eye out with a fish hook in a bar brawl. But he went on to close that wild press conference and saying, Jake, have we all done that? You're lucky. You're lucky I'm banned from your country or I'd come there and slap yourself up myself. Brian, we've seen a lot of ridiculous things in this sport over the years, but there is something that got a rise out of me of John Fury squaring up a television screen. <laughs> he tried to fight the screen. 
dude, he's been calling out Mike Tyson, Canelo. I mean, he he has like an open challenge where he'll fight you in the street, anyone well, in the world. Yeah. Listen, if you're gonna make Tyson Fury like embarrassed, then you are on another level when it comes to cringe. Yes. I mean, God bless him. I don't want him. Right, listen, if, he's great because I don't want him to come after me. I don't want him to punch this screen if he's watching right now. But that was one heck of a press conference. I know BT Sport put out an apology after. It takes a lot for a company to put out an apology when it's boxing programming. Uh, <laughs> he's going to beat you down and bang your girlfriend in front of you. I love <laughs> Like Jake crazy. Donovan was like live tweeting it with like quotes. And like I couldn't believe the stuff I was reading. And I've been in this sport since birth. All right, let's pivot. When you're a celebrity and you're only known for one thing, people are going to ask you in public for that. Hot dog eating champion Joey Jaws Chestnut showed up at the LSU game last week. And, you know, if you got that one gimmick, Dan, they're going to ask you about it. Oh, look at that. You love that. That's like, you know, Elvis walking in and having him sing for you. <laughs> My black liver is pulsating watching this. Uh, Joey Jaws taking it down. How gross is that guy? Probably. Probably pretty gross, right? What are, his, his burps must just be stuff of yeah. legend. His insides must be worse than yours. This guy takes it to another level. Like, you know, you like that gas station sushi. This guy's yeah. just been shoveling hot dogs down his throat for like 10 years now. Do you think he gets laid ever from this? I, I, I don't want to think about that. Probably. I mean, there's there's an avenue for everyone. He's every 4th of July. He's on your television. He's got the yeah. belt. He's... Uh, Dan, we love videos when celebrities go in for the kiss and come up empty. Uh, have you ever thought you'd see one with OJ Simpson in it, though? Okay. The juice, is, the juice is loose, baby. The juice was loose at a bar. This blonde, be careful. You're gonna, you're gonna catch. Uh, yeah, no, I'll stop with the jokes here. No, no. Uh, wow. Oh, he got curved. He got curved in 4K. Yes. Wow. Um, yes. R.I.P. Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson. But uh, he probably deserved that. How is this guy still walking the earth, Dan? Not only has he walked the earth. I mean, he he's on camera literally every week, whether it's a phone camera, whether it's him. On Twitter, he was at a, I'm pretty sure he was at a Bills game. Like, how did the Bills allow that? <laughs> wow. All right, uh, we talk about getting drunk and getting hyped at a fight. This was Chris Cyborg's entrance at her last Bellator title defense in which she knocked out Sinead O'Connor. Excuse me, Sinead Kavanaugh. What? Not Sinead O'Connor, <laughs> although nothing does compare to her. That would not shock me at all. Like, Look I didn't at this guy. Buzz. Take off the shirt. Oh, he's down. He's uh, down. There's a piper down. Frazier. There's a piper down. Yes. Wow. Um... That Wait, is, how did the uh, shirt come off? This guy. Please oh, take the shirt off this, first. This oh, yeah, guy in Miami loves him some cyborg. Look at that. Yeah, man. Down. Wow. All right. Yes. Let's keep it going. Uh, Dan, you know who's been a big hit in in combat sports are the damn Island Boys. But here's to hoping we never hear about them again. And here's to hoping that we only have to watch this upcoming video one time. Here's Karate Hottie and Holly Holm okay. cosplaying. As the Island Boys. I don't the, think we have audio, and I hope we don't, because it's cringe as shit. So the you, Island Boys officially jumped the shark. Yeah, I know they got booed at that club. Um, did you Do you pop for oh. this? Is, is this funny? What are you feeling here? Listen, they're having fun, but I don't care to see this, to be honest. The Island Boys, they're, they're just... The more these videos come out, the more the Island Boys are still going to be a thing. So, please yeah, stop. Their 15 minutes is... Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, we know Bob Arum has no chill. I was happy that Michael Woods posted these texts. Here's Michael Woods reaching out to Bob Arum over text saying, I'd like to do this story about what you're thankful for for Thanksgiving. <laughs> 
Bob's response at age 89? <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> Enough with the, with sissy, the sissy shit. shit. You little prick. You little prick. You little prick. One of the best sound bites in the history of boxing. It makes me wish you still had your uh, a podcast that we won't mention with your soundboard. I mean, that is just legendary stuff. Uh, uh, Bob is turning 90, and he's turning 90 on the Wednesday of the Lomachenko fight, which is next week. So Shut I'm gonna the have fuck to. Up. You I'm gonna have prick. to show up there and uh, and read some more mean tweets with Bob, but that does not shock me at all. Uh, Dude, Woods, I love that too. my good old Woodsy, right? Who's like, hey Bob, like you know, I want to find out what you're thankful for. Enough with the sissy shit. All right, let's move on. That's great shit right there. Uh, Ryan Garcia was not back in the ring, but he was on a poker table and Dan unveiling a new tat. Normally, mm. when Luke Thomas is here, we have him rate that tat. Your thoughts on this snake? Not terrible. I've seen worse. Uh, and what comes to mind is his stablemate, Andy Ruiz, with the butt cheek tattoos. Or Apparently, Can- there's some. Or Canelo with the uh, with the right. eyes. On- Apparently, you join Canelo's team, you will have to be inked with yes. ridiculous tattoos, whether it's on your butt cheeks or whether it's on your forearm. Ryan Garcia. He's adding a lot of tattoos lately. Uh, I hope it's not like after Margarito made Cotto take the knee and then he came out with like crazy gaudy tattoos maybe, maybe that's what happens you know you take an l you gotta express yourself luckily dan i'm afraid of needles because i would have a a plethora of white trash x esque tattoos all i can over see you with a face tat yeah i don't know if I, what, I what's the name of the town names. you're from what'd you say you're from avon connecticut right no no that's the that's the glitzy suburb that i sometimes frequent now that i'm what's the steel town you're from i'm from naugatuck connecticut okay that would be kind of hard to put across the belly that's a lot of letters by the way uh naugatuck played our bitter rival ansonia on thanksgiving football last week for the 122nd consecutive year and snapped not only an 11 year losing streak to mighty ansonia but snapped the Chargers 103 game league winning streak. Shout out to Noggy and new coach Chris Anderson. Love you guys. Great. Are, are they going to have you, uh, you know, do the inaugural coin flip on Facebook? I see that your hometown is writing yeah. stories about you. You're like a hometown hero. I'm an amazing alumni of Naughty High School, all right? So take that. It's me and Michael Bergen of Baywatch Nights. So take they're like that. Our, they're like our Brian Campbell, class of 95, interviewed. Disney star Jake Paul. Hey, it's class of 96, so put some... Oh, I was close. Down there. I was close. All right. A couple more for you, Dan. WWE Raw, fresh off Survivor Series. Did you see this distraught fan mm. do a non-scripted run-in on Seth Rollins? You say non-scripted. You're, you're a wrestling guy. Is this a work? I don't know, because this guy is apparently a a, a online comedian of some regard. Oh, but... so was, it was obviously premeditated on his part. Uh, yeah, he. This part he is a, like, that, yeah. Go ahead. So apparently, he claims that he got catfished by somebody claiming to be Seth Rollins. So he wanted revenge on Seth Rollins. The only thing that I think might might make it a work is the security didn't stomp him. In fact, mm-hmm. they took him out through the crowd. Dan, yeah. I, have you ever seen on YouTube like the old school? Yeah. If a, if you jump that barrier, forget the concession stand at the Cowboys yeah. game. You jump that barrier, they will stomp you the hell out. Like and, you're. Uh, you're you're liable to die. Like they could yes. legitimately kill you. Like I've seen that one clip from like a Germany house show. I think it was like Stone Cold and Triple H, and some guy got a hold of Stone Cold, and they beat the piss out of him. Yes. This is well, yeah. That's why it leads me to believe that maybe it was some type of premeditated thing because he not only to walk out, but Seth Rollins here, like he was kind of like maybe still in character or what is it? What do they say? The you know didn't break whatever. He kayfabe <laughs> is the word you're looking for. So yeah. maybe he like wanted to make it seem like it was a a work because he was maybe embarrassed, but. 
That definitely went viral, and it definitely served its purpose. All right, almost done here. Uh, there are crazy people, though, in the world. You've got to be careful, including people who believe in the fiction they watch on TV. Dan, if a cop ever stared you down, would you consider using the force on him? This crazy lady went for it. Look at this. Well, they do call me Obi-Wan Kenobi, so I have used the force. I would never <laughs> use it on... Kenobi yes, <laughs> I, yes. I wouldn't use it on our bravest because they have stun oh, guns. Because that's the result. <laughs> Mess with the bull, you'll get the horns, lady, okay? She's like, I'm a Karen, and I come in peace. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> you ain't Palpatine, bitch. Yes, that is She's that. Down. All right. Down, she went down she just like goes. that concession worker. She did not, though, Dan, take the hardest fall of the week. This man grieving a loved one at an international funeral. Oh, God, no. no. Oh, no, no my goodness. Oh, my God. Shades of the Undertaker buried alive match. I don't know if we're allowed to show this. This is awful. In fact, you mentioned Taker. We might as well go to Rock Bottom 98, Stone Cold versus the Undertaker. Very <laughs> similar here, Dan. Wow, life imitating art. 20 That's years how later. We do it. Without Luke Thomas here, we can talk about pro wrestling. Dude, if you fall into a grave, like, wouldn't you think that's like a sign? Like, I'd be looking over my shoulder for the yeah. rest of my life. I would just stay there. I'd just be like, put the dirt on me. Just bury me. But yeah. uh, shout out to 90s WWF, which had a lot of this these gimmicks. Oh, that's yeah. the best. One of the best accounts on all Twitter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And Besides Morning Combat. First one to hit the hit the uh, bottom of the grave loses, and here we go. Let's let's end this with the stone cold. Boom. There it is. There it is. Put the dirt on. They don't the make match. matches like this anymore. It's over, and they don't make shows or segments like this anymore. Dan, thank you for enduring what was a ridiculous uh, technical uh, difficulty. We did about a four-hour show. Special <laughs> thanks to you, Dan Canobio. I mentioned you are the host of Inside Boxing Live, which people can find on the YouTubes. Where else can we find you these days? Oh, we stream on Pluto TV. We stream on Fubo Sports. You can get them traditionally on podcasts, Spotify, Apple. Put a lot of stuff on Twitter. Uh, fastest two-minute breakdowns, all sorts of the stats. Often, the often imitated, but never duplicated. <laughs> never duplicated. I'm having a little bit of issues with some uh, rights uh, for that, but uh, my Twitter account is a one-stop shop for, for boxing stats, jokes, uh, you know, everything. I appreciate getting this call. We can catch you on PBC on Fox Countdown, getting mm -hmm. ready for the big Charles Martin pay-per-view. Yes, very big. Huge. Uh, New Year's Eve. Oh, New Year's Day. Like, how else would you want to spend New Year's Day than watching Prince Charles lace him up against Luis Ortiz? I actually have to run right now over there uh, to the Manhattan studio, uh, put on some makeup, and talk about some heavyweight boxing. This is what I do. Dan, great to have you here. Thank you for filling in for Luke Thomas. Shout out to Shaquille Majori as well, who hit, hit us with some MMA breakdowns before embarking on his own vacation. For Danny C and our great production crew, who took the L, it wasn't their fault, but they did their best to get us back on the air. I am BC signing off. Hopefully Luke Thomas is getting better. We love you out there. We're back. We're back with a bang. Two words. We out.